Good evening, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Stefan Mullen, Free Domain Radio. It is time to listen. And by listen, I mean get annoyed with listeners when they interrupt my rants. Something like that. And um, I guess we'll start with the first on the queue. Mike, uh, who's up? All right. Well, up first today is Julia. Julia wrote in and said, There are so many hidden agendas in the speech and actions of the different political and nonpartisan groups. So many wheels within wheels. The free domainer slash objectivist community here in Baltimore is a bit stunned into mental silence. We have met and discussed, but we are searching for rational courses of action and lines of thought. For example, I question the constitutionality of the curfew, but I am at the same time overjoyed at the curfew. I live in a beautiful but noisy section of town, normally lots of fights outside in the middle of the night. I'm surprised at how quickly I stepped off my principles to wallow in the short-term gratification of peace and quiet and a decrease in the likelihood that there would be more property damage. I'm definitely in shock. I was stoic about the incredible pressure of law school exams while a riot and fires are going on outside my window, but then I find myself suddenly angry, almost to the point of crying or hitting furniture. I second-guess myself every day that I should have left. And that's from Julia, who is in the heart of Baltimore, as everything that's going on in Baltimore is going on around her. And just for those who are listening to this sometime hence, or say in Timbuktu, what's going on in Baltimore is at the moment, I guess, a kind of uneasy truce, a, a piece of waiting because um, six officers, um, three whites and three blacks, have been charged in various degrees of malfeasance in the death of Freddie Gray, who um, received an injury in a police van uh, and uh, died a week later and so there is um there has been there have been riots and uh, those riots have i think calmed down if i get that correctly so that's going on in baltimore and um there are various interpretations as the degree of prosecutorial overreach uh, the the guy it was a black guy who who was driving the van has been charged with depraved heart murder I believe it is, and uh, for for driving a van, and we will find out. You know, I I follow the case with interest, though I think that it may be a tad too volatile at this point. And certainly, there's no way to draw any clear conclusions until we start to see more of the evidence. I find it fascinating, as I think a lot of people do, just seeing the twists and weaves of the process, and it is a very complicated um, situation. And uh, there's a lots of, of issues and frustrations in many layers of society that are coming to a head in this area. And it can be one of these moments of learning and teaching, or it can be yet another wasted opportunity and aggregation of extra stereotypes. But we'll see as time goes forward. Anyway, Julia, you're the, you're the one who's there, so you should probably be doing more talking. Uh, how, how are you doing these days? Oh, I'm all right. Thanks for asking. Great. Um, there's certainly been more destruction than was reported in the media. Um, the more shop glass broken and loaded and looted. Uh, there's a fire across the street from where I live that wasn't on the destruction map. They had a map of destruction the, that laid out all of the different places that have been hit. Um, there are many more places that never appeared there. Um, but uh, certainly there was a lot going on. We went to the roof to watch Baltimore burn. You know. You know, and then a solid week of helicopters, you know, and every night you hear a megaphone that says, 
It is now 10 p.m. There is a citywide curfew. You must be indoors. Um, so it has been uh, challenging surreal, in so many different right? ways. Yeah, exactly. I mean, surreal is a perfect word because in one night, I saw these two scurrilous guys crouching out in my back parking lot next to a BMW. And very unlike me, I'm in my pajamas. I'm on the second floor. I throw open the window and I scream at them, get out of my parking lot, get away from that car. Like I was like, you know, on a huge rant. And the guy just stood up and he looked up at me and he said, babe, it's my car. And he holds up the keys and he goes, boop, boop. And he turns the light on in the car. They were they were playing dice for, for cash in my back parking lot, breaking the curfew. And just wait, a, they drove they drove to your parking lot in a BMW yes. to play dice and break curfew. Yes. Yes. It's I, I'm no I'm no expert, let's say, <laughs> on the average profile of a BMW driver. <laughs> my instinct tells me that's not a perfect match, but I'm willing to grant exceptions. But, Welcome uh, to my town. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, th- yeah. that that must yeah. be a very hardworking young fellow. Yeah. <laughs> have, have we won a lot of money playing dice. I mean, they, I, you know, I'm in law school finals. Uh, my aunt, who is a very powerful woman in her profession, was freaking out. Got me a hotel room, and then on the flip side of that, the my father was nonplussed, and so I had to deal with his disinterest. You know, I'm second guessing myself every Wait, day. Wait, his disinterest. Yeah, yeah. Nonplussed and disinterest. Uh, uh, those are some lawyerly words for emotions I can't quite track. <laughs> I'm afraid. <laughs> well, you know, and then my my aunt is. No, no, know. no! Wait, wait, wait! Back up. What does it mean? That nonplussed and disinterest. Nonplussed usually means kind of annoyed and negative. Disinterest, though, usually means indifference. So I'm not sure how to track your father's emotional state. Oh, um. So I thought nonplussed meant that he was not necessarily overly overwrought so um i think disinterested is a much better word and so he thought sort of, everything's fine my yes. daughter will be i mean so the city's burning she's fireproof <laughs> i assume you are made of asbestos which is why your father is not at all concerned wow i mean if there was a curfew and my daughter was in baltimore i'd be coming like emerging from the sewers uh, <laughs> honey i dropped breadcrumbs let's find our way back to where, right. that's so awesome <laughs> Well, yes, I, I definitely uh, am very fortunate to be thinking through some of those things about my dad and, um, you know, have been, uh, and then, you know, and then, of course, my aunt was furious because my father was disinterested, you know, nonplussed, as I say, and, um, but it has been a very weird mixture of art and danger and the mundane and danger. You know, the uh, one I walked, I woke up one morning and the entire six block sidewalk away from my house had chalked names of all the people who supposedly had been brutalized by police officers and their ages, hundreds and hundreds of names for six city blocks as I walked to the fitness center. And, you know, one guy jumped onto the top of a truck. He'd actually brought a whole dance platform. And while the... Um, helicopters are circling he's playing michael jackson just beat it and he's dancing and shaking his fists at all these helicopters you know and it's just it's really you know to to have the challenges of all those sort of contradictory forces you know and then my neighbor asked me do i have time to go to chipotle before the riot gets here you know you're just it it's there, there, there's a <laughs> sentence that there, there's no 
like there's no good thing in life that that results in that sentence <laughs> because we won the lottery never follows that that particular okay right yeah yeah right. so wow. law school finals totally grueling and, you know i thought i should have left i shouldn't have left i want to try to get through my exam you know just so trying stuff trying to get through the thought process of i'm a budding non-statist i'm not entirely well thought through yet on those issues but being faced with you know some things that i admire about the state's attorney uh, marilyn uh Mosby, who stood up and, and spoke very forthrightly about the different charges, did her job, I think, well. But, you know, wheels within wheels, like what's really her agenda behind all that? And, you, you know, trying to sort her, Look, I'm sorry to interrupt, but, but no. I mean, obviously, you're the law student, so you have more knowledge and expertise in this area. Um, it seems to me, just, just from the outside, that it was a placate the mob rush to judgment. Yes, I agree. I and agree. so I'm not sure that's doing the job really well. I mean, she she should have. I think she should have taken the charges before a grand jury. As far I understood, as far as I understand it, she she put these charges forward, mm. you know, within hours of receiving the reports. And uh, there are indications that she may have made some mistakes. In that they say they found a switchblade. She says, well, that's legal. What they found is legal under Maryland law. And and the cops are saying, well, no, it's a one-handed spring-assisted knife so it's not legal not and so legal <laughs> i don't know that she's i mean I, I i don't know i'm happy to hear the case about how she's doing such a great right. job and i'm not saying it's easy to stare down a mob that aggressive so you know i say this from this the the, the security of canada so I, i'm fully aware that i'm not you know having to stare down this this mob but um yeah, yeah. isn't that sort of what what you get paid the bucks for is to pursue the rule of law uh, and not bend uh, to the mop because I mean, all, you you buy yourself a little temporary peace, but you guarantee yourself uh, worse things in the future. Yes, uh, yeah. And I heard that they called in uh, Judy Smith, who was whose life is the basis for that show Scandal, and you know, as a communications manager to come in and do strategic counseling. So that might very well be why she rushed to. Judgment, I don't know if it's the right word, but, um, and I hadn't heard about the switchblade yet. I have had my nose in the books so deeply that I wasn't able to follow all the details. But based on the, the list that she went through, it did seem like there was a justification for negligence and some of the different charges, which, you know, why not charge? I mean, it's not, a ju it's not a judgment yet. It's just, just the, the prosecutorial attorney. Yes, but I mean, to say that, um, well, of course, yeah, she's saying that there are charges, but uh, it just seems to me that uh, it's, um, it's it's it seems like jumping the gun. Yeah, uh, it seems like there should be more, um, uh, more research. And right. you know, she could have, you know, it, to me, it's it's always an insult to a mob to appease it, because ah, she could have used a, a bullet. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get back to that. But but it seems like if you have the ear of the mob, it wasn't isn't that a great time to talk talk to them about due process, to talk to them about the rule of law, to talk to them about innocent until proven guilty, and so on. Mm -hmm. Now, if if you have a mob that you don't feel can be reached by any kind of reason, well, then you have a much more significant problem than even what happened to Freddie Gray. Yes. I agree. Because then it's like, okay, so Democrats in public schools breed mobs. 
<laughs> and you know, no, and this is this is a case that I think Ann Coulter makes very well in a book called Demonic, which is worth reading just for the haunting descriptions of the French Revolution. But oh. if she doesn't feel that, um, I mean, the, the eyes of the world are on Baltimore. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, that is, I think, this is fundamental. The eyes of the world are on Baltimore, and the eyes of the world are looking at the leadership's evaluation of the Baltimore mob. Yes. And right now, they're, te- they're treating them um, like very volatile and irrational children. That's what the eyes of the world – the eyes of the world can't judge the mob, but they can judge how the leaders judge the mob. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yes. Yes. It's like this is – if you have you know lack of – a non-rational mind that you're dealing with, then this is what you do. You know, yes, you this quick... seems to be just appeasement. It, yeah. It's straight. It's straight on appeasement, and yeah. uh, there is uh, there are mysteries. I mean, I, again, as I say this a million times over and over, though you and you know Mike and maybe three other people seem to listen, but um, <laughs> you know, of course, if the officers uh, beat the guy up, if they had a rough ride, which doesn't appear to be the case, right. but there's some really hinky stuff going oh, on. Oh, there's stuff hinky, yeah. Like th- this guy came out who said he was a, a passenger with uh, Freddie Gray. And apparently yeah. the cops said, oh, he said that Freddie Gray was trying to injure himself by beating his head against the wall. Uh-huh. And, and then he came out and said, no, no, it was just a couple of taps, right? But the guy who was writing was 38 years old. This guy was like 22. And the woman who was interviewing him was the girlfriend of one of the prosecutors. Uh-huh. That's, some, that's some seriously subterranean hinky stuff. Oh, I didn't know. Oh, my God. That's so... Yeah. He's a plant. He <laughs> doesn't appear to have been. There's no record of this guy's arrest. Anyway. Oh, well, I had pinned it on the guy, Rice, who had been arrested a couple years earlier for having the types of guns, like, what, what are they called, AK-47s, and uh, had been actually sent to the mental hospital. So I'm like, yeah, he did something, you know, before the the, the paddy wagon ride. Wait, who's this? So he's one of the officers. Uh, he was arrested for... Um, he, somebody had called the sheriff's office on him, and he had multiple weapons in his house that he shouldn't have had. And then they thought he was a little wacko, so they drove him to the mental hospital. But he's some for some reason ex- inexplicably back on duty. And you know these you know militarists, I guess you want to call them, who are the type of you know who you know self-identify with their militarization. I'm probably making a sweeping judgment about this poor man, but you know, he, you know, they know how to do things like break necks, you know. So, I'm thinking, well, maybe he did something, you know. So, you mean maybe he like tried to break Freddie Gray's neck? Yeah, did yeah, hurt him before he got on the paddy wagon because he was one of the one man who was manhandling Freddie Gray before he got onto the vehicle. Absolutely, but but these are kinds of things we have no idea about. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe space aliens reached down with <laughs> giant lasers and severed his neck as part of some intergalactic experiment in floppy-headedness. I like, I mean, y- and I'm obviously yours is a more likely scenario, but this is, of course, what the innocent until proven guilty yes. and and get the information. Yeah. Um, the, I mean, the 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 co- and, and the coroner didn't he declare it uh, some you know negative thing and it's, it's like homicide. well all he can do is assess the injury. Right. 
But right. homicide just means not of natural causes, right? Right. And right. and so homicide doesn't mean murder, as you know, right? It just means okay, so the guy didn't expire in his sleep from uh, being 140 years old or something like that, which I think we can all agree on. Yeah. But um, it might have been a depraved heart. It could have been callousness. It could have been mm-hmm. indifference, uh, mm-hmm. and so on. But um, there is um, that. There's just a lot of unknowns, and I mean, look, I. I I mean, I have mixed feelings about cops, um, and I think this is kind of what we're talking about, right? Yeah, because yeah they do this, too, this is right. the ambivalence that we have, which is uh, I, I would love a, a society, as you know, with, with no state and, and with private defense agencies and with everybody being raised, everybody being raised so wonderfully as children that there are no cops, yes. uh, sorry, no cops, no criminals. No, yes. that, I mean, that's, that's the ideal, <laughs> but we ain't there yet, right? <laughs> Right. And right. it's what Tom Sowell says about a, a riot. And, and they stopped doing this in the 1960s, right? So they stopped doing this in the 1960s, which was uh, bringing out a significant military presence to riots. Because that's how you stop a riot. You stop a riot with significant military presence, right? So there were two cities, Detroit and Chicago, in the 1960s. There were uh, terrible race riots in both Detroit and Chicago in the 1960s. Now, in Chicago, the mayor, I think it was Mayor Daley, came out on TV and on the radio and said, well, <laughs> our police and uh, the National Guard, they have orders to shoot to kill. Oh. And of course, everyone was like, oh, <laughs> fascism. But, but there were far fewer deaths from any rioting in Chicago than there were in Detroit. In Detroit, they, you know, we feel your pain and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Right, right. And, you know, we feel your pain, you know, we take your TVs. Yeah. Uh, it didn't It didn't work, right? Right, right. I have and a very so, strong liberal background and know exactly what those lines sound like. Yeah, yeah you know, uh, because because we uh, – uh, uh, anyway, I, 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 there's so many lines of conversation and I don't but, – but, but this reality is that um, if you have this kind of, uh, of rioting, then – uh, but people don't want to do it, right? And this, again, is Tom Sowell's point. He says that, that people don't want to do it because you, a riot starts and you bring out your military, so to speak, and the riot goes away. And then the next day, the papers are all like, well, there, there was just a tiny little gathering. And, and next thing you know, <laughs> right, there's like right. black helicopters <laughs> with like giant sky cannons and all that. A, a hysterical overreaction yeah. is like, well, yeah, but if they hadn't been there, then it would have gone the way of Detroit. And uh, as we all know, of course, uh, going the way of Detroit means destroying the economy of the city. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I, I'm, you know, I'm ambivalent insofar as I don't like the way that the cops work. I don't like that they're run by the government. And I disagree with the vast majority of laws that the cops enforce. I also recognize that we have an existing society full of heavily traumatized people yeah. who are not uh, going to listen to a whole bag full of reason. Uh, and um, we have, of course, a welfare state that shredded the family and you know, all the stuff I did in a recent podcast. And so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm ambivalent um, about, about the cops. And uh, I also recognize, of course, that they're heavily propagandized. And, and a lot of libertarians don't seem to sort of understand that. That, you know, cops are raised on a steady diet of cops great, uh, you know, the thin blue line between order and chaos. And, you know, they're multi-generational, they're praised, they've been, you know, the staunch defenders of the Constitution for many generations. And, you know, they just, they don't get the degree of propaganda that that everyone goes through. I mean, just because some people have either never experienced it or have broken out of it or so on, you know, I think it's time to circle back and 
deal with these people not as just you know evil fascist robots from hell you know i mean that's just that's just unfair and i wrote about this like 10 years ago about soldiers i mean they're not uh, they're not told the truth about the system that they live in and and they genuinely believe that they're being heroic and and so on and fighting evil and and it's really hard to you know it's really it's really hard to tell you know the dwarf in the lord of the rings movie that it's not real yeah and and when you're surrounded by that environment on a regular basis and everyone that you know um supports those values and emphasizes them from you know your brothers in arms from the women who are your wives you know who are telling you the same thing over and over again and how can you think any other way right well and uh, up here in canada the police went on strike and society went mental <sighs> like rival cab companies were beating each other up with lead pipes and stuff i mean we all remember what it was like in school when you had the weak-willed substitute teacher right <laughs> yeah, <it was> like... <laughs> not not a lot of learning going on it's a lot of recess <laughs> you know when the uh when the soft voice uh, yeah. hey kids, Oh yeah, you know? I, had the same I mean one. it's just like woohoo, right? Lord of the Flies, right here, right now, right? Yeah. It's like the Julie yeah. Haggerty voice from the old airplane movies, guys. You know, just, oh, <laughs> no. get away from the sociopath. There's no one in charge. <laughs> well, there's it's, uh, it's wretched. There's definitely a strong white cop contingent here in Baltimore. Um, there's a large percentage that are African American that are on the force. But, um, you know, not to go into too much detail live here on our radio, but um, I've met people and known people that, you know, it just really demonstrates that there's a very, um, uh, I don't want to use the word congealed, but like just a solid, solid force of uh, a, a closed group that uh, supports itself and supports each other. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and basically, it's really hard to get fired. And uh, I, I, these are a government union and so on, right? Yeah. And, yeah. Um, yeah so, and struggling with, uh, you know, here, you know, I'm, you know, listening to the show. I've, you know, had incredible, you know, just causing my reality to change almost every day. You know, looking at these non statist ideas, it's like how, you know, to try to integrate all these things that I've been seeing when I'm actually, you know, sort of in shock, but then, uh, you know, just trying to rationally think through and what you're saying right now helps a lot to know even more about the things that were going on behind the scenes. And, you know, you really long for a real leader, you know, someone who can actually, uh, who has integrity. And I see that, you know, we just, we just haven't seen it. But, but what would you do? Because I mean, the I, I challenge I challenge all of the big talkers about you know uh, people railing against me, and I'm sure there've been people railing against you. You know, I challenge the big talkers. Okay, you're in charge. Right. What do you do? Right. Because you know, and what I see, if I were in charge, you know, I do see it every day that there are people who are incredibly broken, who aren't even, uh, who 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 the way that I think and the way that they think are so remarkably different, I can hardly even speak to their situation. And, you know, maybe you do just take the wind out of the sail of the mob so that the city doesn't get destroyed. You know, I, I don't know the answer. So when you say, can, when you say take the wind out of the city, I could just say, you're, you're the mayor, you call out the chief of the police, take <laughs> the wind out of the city of the mob. And he's like, uh, no, take the wind out of the sails of the mob. He's like, I... 
<laughs> I don't know. We're not having a regatta. Perhaps you could give me something more specific. <laughs> um, um, I don't well, know. What doing... kind of wind are we talking about here? <laughs> Which way is it blowing? How big is the ship? Well, right. generally, I mean, whether you're on a, whether you're, uh, you know, doing marketing or whether you're, you know, trying to appease an angry customer, you always agree with them. You agree with them. That's how you take the wind out of the sail of them you know, an angry person, you agree with them, even if you're being deceitful, you, mm. you know, and then they... I'm come. sorry, I, I, with all due respect, that's chick speak. Oh! <laughs> I'm sorry, I hate to put it that no, way. No, no, tell me, tell but me, that's what like, you mean? Uh, I have, you know, much less body mass and 40% less upper body strength, so when someone's angry, I have to appease them. That's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a feminine approach, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's perfectly natural. You know, as a friend of mine said many years ago, how'd you like to go through life half your size? It's like, oh, I guess I'd be a little more cautious too, right? But that's not, I mean, like we were just talking about how there's very strong evidence that, you know, call, calling in a, a very military reaction to a budding riot uh, saves lives. Or if you look at, uh, this is something that Rudy Giuliani talks about consistently about the fact that he got, this is off the top of my head, so yeah, the numbers yeah, yeah. may not be accurate, but it's close. He got the murder rate in New York down from 2,000 people a year to yeah. five or 600 people a year by throwing the people in jail Yes, and keeping them in jail. Now, that's not like, well, I agree with you. That's like, right, you know, right. you and society are not getting along. <laughs> I'm afraid I'm going to engineer a breakup between you and society, and society's going to stay where it is, and you're going to go into the naughty corner um, yeah. with a cellmate. So there's a ton of evidence that in in states where there's um, freer gun laws that there tends to be there can be less crime in certain specific areas, and it has to do with you know I mean I was down in Texas for a while it's like everybody's carrying a gun you don't <laughs> you don't mess with people because they, right. if they don't have no, one gun they have two <laughs> God yeah, made yeah, Adam yeah. even Smith and Wesson made them equal. <laughs> right, right. So the 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 strong heavy hand of leadership is you know. I mean, I, you know, you do you have uh, that sort of clarity and crisp uh, consequences. You know, when they locked down and did the curfew, it made such a difference because they were very consistent and all the manpower was huge to be able to enforce it. And they enforced it. And it worked. It Oh, it worked. It worked. And yeah. I mean, they literally, I mean, could be saving the very future of the city. Yeah. I think because so. If, if enough of this stuff goes down, I mean, CVS Pharmacy ain't coming back. They're closing down more stores in Baltimore. Yeah. Uh, the number of people who then wish to go into these areas and build up businesses and so on, I mean, yes. not non-existent, right? I mean, and, and so then you get an ever, ever – this, this is the death spiral of a community. Yes. Right? Frustration leads to riots, leads to fewer opportunities, leads to riots, leads to fewer opportunities, leads to riots. You, this, there's no end to that. And the money leaves the city. You say, you know, you know, Baltimore won't be open for business. <laughs> and, and you know who else leaves the city? White people leave the city. <laughs> we can talk about this because nobody else is listening. <laughs> so we're fine. But no, I mean, white flight is a very recognized phenomenon. Yeah, it is. And the, uh, the the burgeoning businesses, there's just a terrific, there has been a great uh, strong trend in Baltimore of upwards, uh, you know, well, we instituted a casino, which I don't agree with, but there you are, there's money. And, uh, you know, Baltimore has been on the up and up. And now who knows what will happen? It'll be interesting to see what the dynamics are that shake out, you know, is the only bad reputation, no reputation, you know, that the eyes of the world are on Baltimore, maybe this will kick in dynamics that will build it up? Or is it just going to be, I'm not going to invest in that city, are you kidding me? 
you know well there's a whole world i mean you you got a dollar or you got ten thousand dollars so you got a million dollars there's a whole world to invest in yeah right i mean why on earth would you put money you know and it's funny because people are ah young kids these days Uh, people are too young to remember that like 50 60 years ago I'm not that old either, but um, no. <laughs> Detroit was like Detroit was like a golden city. Detroit was like oh. paradise. Oh. Like everybody yeah. wanted to move to Detroit. Crime was low, job opportunities were high, housing was plentiful, wages were good. It was Dodge, right? It was uh, the car manufacturers. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the big three car manufacturers and all of the associated industries. It's not just the car manufacturers. It's everyone who supplies the car manufacturers and everyone who supplies the people who supply the car. I mean, it's a huge, huge effect. And Detroit was a golden, shining city on a hill that was considered to be the best that America had to offer. This is a mere half century ago. Half century is not long in the life of a city. And And given the economy now in Michigan and Detroit, I mean, it's just horrible. It's it's horrendous. Right. It is. It is horrendous. It is horrendous. And the solutions, um, you know, I mean, again, the, the joy of being a philosopher is you get to waffle on and windbag about solutions that are far too <laughs> long a time frame to ever be evaluated in your yeah. lifetime. I like things to be multi-generational because yes. it's untestable. Right. right? right. And, like an economist. And, yeah. So, I mean… What you what you have, and you, I'm simply repeating what the experts on this show have told me. But what you have in in Detroit, and what you have in Baltimore, in the black areas, is you have an IQ low population on average, right? Individuals, yeah. sure, there's lots of exceptions, but yeah. according to the experts, uh, you know, James Flynn, Kevin Beaver, who've been on this show, and going all the way back to the bell curve in the '90s uh, with Charles Murray. You have a population that tragically is at least on average a standard deviation below – more than a standard deviation below Asians. Oh, yeah. And that and is – They fight outside challenge. my window every night. <laughs> right, right. And, and you know, with lower IQ often comes higher aggression, uh, poorer impulse control and, uh, you know, use your words is, is a tougher thing. And, I, you know, like everyone, I am desperate and desperate and desperate to believe – that this is environmental. Yes. Right, because if it's not, well, <laughs> I don't, even, you're, I don't you're, even want to know. I don't even like. Liquor, I don't. When you're eating licorice for breakfast and soda yeah. for lunch, something's going to happen to your brain. I mean, uh, you've, you've, yeah, and and if you have you know understimulated, inert parents, I mean, I really felt the Fe- Freddie Gray. People say, oh, it's acting. I really felt the Freddie Gray thing that I was talking about. I mean, that's that's a horrible life. And people are like, well, he should have just pulled himself up by his bootstraps. No. Or I have, <laughs> He had lead poisoning, for God's sakes, yeah. man. Yeah. For God's sakes. <laughs> if you're missing your legs, don't ask me to hop up a ladder. Yeah. But yeah. Um, uh, so so you have this, this population. Now, how do you solve the standard deviation problem in IQ? Again, assuming it's true and assuming it's environmental, which is you know, not my position to to judge. But we do know, of course, that less corporal punishment raises IQ. We yeah. do know that welfare harms IQ. Yeah. Uh, we do know that um, uh, the brain is a muscle that responds to adversity to some degree. You know, like you've got to strain a muscle in order to build it. And welfare makes people kind of inert and, and kind of lazy and and so on, right? And so... There's lots of things that we could do to promote healthier IQ practices, 
yeah. and and raise the IQ. Um, uh, you know, Tom Sowell is is a is a great believer in um, IQ being uh, environmental, right? Because you know there are people who say yes. and it's, a, it's a good counter argument, right? Because there are people who say, like the people who say there's genetics involved in in IQ. They say, ah, but if you look at mulattoes, right, half black, half white, their intelligence is halfway between blacks and whites, you know, which would, I guess, to some people say, well, that's an IQ well, based go. genetics <laughs> argument. But, but what uh, Sowell says is he says, okay, so if the slave master uh, rapes or has sex with a slave, I guess having sex with a slave would always be rape. Not a lot of consent in that relationship. Right. But, uh, but he's, you know, if he has a child by a slave, he's going to be much more interested yeah. in his half child getting better educated, learning how to read. So, yeah, of course, you'd expect mulattoes to be halfway between. Anyway, yeah. so, so, uh, I mean, that, but raising IQ appears to not work mm. later on in life. Mm. And there are some people who argue that it's fixed from very early on in life, but I think that we have not exhausted the possibilities nearly as much. And I'm in- entirely encouraged by the information that I put out recently, which talks about the degree to which, you know, blacks were coming into educated and, and upper-class professions and uh, incomes were doubling and families were relatively strong. And I, I just would have loved to have yeah. seen how far that would continue. I mean, wouldn't that be I fantastic? Oh my, I mean, my I, I don't know if my IQ has gone up, but since I started school, my ability to solve logic problems has hugely increased. I've been running around telling all my friends, I've solved the Singapore logic problem in 10 minutes, you know, which I could never have done before. So I tend to very strongly advocate that environment can change you even later. I mean, even after you're a child, I just, you know, and they, I think there's science that shows that you can create new neuron connections. Mm-hmm. And yeah, um, I mean, obviously, yeah, I mean, they say that, no, sorry, obviously for a lot of people, it's not like I had a, a friend when I was growing up, his father was um, very high up in, in engineering. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we go over to his house and, you know, we wouldn't be playing hungry, hungry hippos. There would be like, <laughs> Math and logic nice. questions pasted around the house, and as you solved them, you would get prizes and so oh, on. Oh my god! What <laughs> his son became a professor. You know, I mean, is that genetics? Surprise. Well, I think we've got a lot of environment to push before we draw that conclusion. Yeah. So, um, but but so how and how do you do that? Well, the city of Baltimore can't stop welfare payments. I mean be great if they could in a way because i think people would adjust and adapt pretty quickly uh you know human beings i mean people say oh you know it'd be terrible riots and so on well people fuss and fight until they accept right and and if it's just like now nah, i'm sorry this this is a terrible experiment and you know you've suffered we've suffered taxpayers have suffered future generations have suffered children have suffered this is just a god-awful mess and we're stopping it people will fuss but as soon as they get your resolution they won't. And they'll be like, okay, well, <laughs> you know, like pe- people get drafted and go to war and that's a pretty, that's a bigger change than welfare. And the vast majority of people did that without blowing up things or oh, setting fire to yeah, things. Yeah. So uh, people can, you know, oh, you know what? We just, uh, we just privatized the schools, you know, or we gave everyone vouchers and people would like, oh my God, that's terrible. I mean, the number of times you hear in life, this is a catastrophe. This is terrible. This is awful. You know? <laughs> We only have nine days to save the planet from global warming. Wait, is it day 10? We only have 10 days to save... 11? We only have 11 days, right? I mean, like, the number of times, it's just, if we do this... Like, in Canada, it's like, when I was a kid, the big thing was, you could you could change... Like, the law changed to allow people to shop on Sundays. This will fundamentally destroy the Canadian... Oh, we just shop on Sundays, that's it? 
Right. <laughs> we only have four days to save the world from anyway, you know, like this. this people this, adapt. This... They they absolutely. Yeah, of course used, they do. Yeah, and people want to overcome obstacles, and they want to do well, and they want to work hard. It's I think humans enjoy that, and you know, it's it's it. I agree with you. I think it would be very interesting to see if we could pull welfare completely and see what to see what happens. <laughs> Oh, I mean, there would be solutions within a week or two. And, uh, and of course, uh, but of course, the problem is the debt has become so great that it's very difficult to cut welfare and return the money to the people. Right? I mean, if, if, you've, if you take, you're taxing people like crazy to pay for the welfare state, you cut the welfare state, and then people have like double their money. Okay, fine. So, you know, everyone gets jobs and stimulated demand and so on. But because there's so much debt, yeah, the, the maneuverability has really diminished. I think so. That's like we're just gonna, you know, cut everybody off of welfare, and then and now we get more money. You know, our taxes are lowered, right? Uh, no, not so much. Yeah, sorry, can't do that. <laughs> can't do that. Like here in here in Canada, there's a province called Alberta. And I sorry, I feel I need to explain this to Americans. Yes, please do. <laughs> I think beyond America, it's just like hazy mortar covered snow and. <laughs> fog and <laughs> vague, vaguely threatening people in, in uh, um, <laughs> rays and trench coat and leather. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and so there's this, and they've, they've been like a conservative, which is sort of like Republican government in charge of Alberta for like 40 years. And as you know, of course, oil prices have crashed and Alberta is a big resource yeah. province. And so the government is like, okay, so... <laughs> Oil prices have crashed, which means that we have to pay more out in unemployment because a lot of people lost their jobs. We're not getting as much money from tax uh, taxes because economic activity has slowed. So we're going to cut some spending. And everyone's like, no. <laughs> God, cuts. We only have four days to save the world from the conservative budget in Alberta. Like, I mean, and people are just going insane. So what they did is they just voted in socialists. <laughs> Oh, no. Oh, I'm like, God. that's a great solution. That's oh, are you telling me the truth? Abdication. Well, bye, because we've got this lovely liar over here who's going to tell me that they, they won't need to cut anything and, and, and grease. Anyway, oh. so. Oh, my God. <laughs> Abdication, entirely. So I, I don't know what the, you know, the solutions yeah. are, are long term. And, and even if, you know, even if we say, ah, you know, well, the problems are all environmental, it's like, People think that if they say environmental, they get this giant magic wand that solves problems. You know, oh. it's, not, it's environmental. It's like, well, okay, so how are you going to change that environment? Yeah, yeah, it's it. Oh, and that's why it was such a two-edged sword when the woman who beat up her son on public on national television because he was being a demonstrator. You know, everybody was like, "Yeah, you go, Mama. You beat your son and tell him not to be a protester." It's, it's like you're beating your son. That's why he's out there. He's trying to like yeah. rise up into his manhood, and you're like beating him down. You have six children by three different men. <laughs> Yeah, so it was it was a two-edged sword on that one, you know. It's uh yeah, so I mean I don't I you know, I for me the solution is just nag people about parenting. Yes, please do. Because that's the only thing. Now, of course the challenge is, I mean, if you have a low IQ population and please understand, I'm saying what the experts say and I'm certainly not referring to to everyone uh, in various communities, but I mean the problem is if you have a low IQ population, convincing the low IQ population to improve their parenting it's not easy. Convincing a high IQ population to change their parenting is not easy. No. I mean, after, you know, years and like 50 or 60 years of people talking trash about spanking, still 80 to 85% of 
whites and 70, 75% of Asians are still hitting their kids. Yeah. So it's, you know, it, it is a, it's a long, brutal process. And of course, the, the people in charge in Baltimore are just want things not burning now. Yeah. Yeah, they're so not long-term, short-term gratification. And, you know, I, yeah, I, I think, you know, the other thing, too, is that what people also don't see, and, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm speaking from, you know, massive hood cred <laughs> experience, <laughs> but, you know, a lot, lot of criminals in the ghetto. Yeah. And a lot of good people who have terrifying people in their neighborhood and you know that the cops are there because someone called them right the, the cops aren't like well we got called to the rich asian neighborhood but we decided not to go right the mm -hmm. cops are in those neighborhoods because that's there's a lot of criminals in those neighborhoods not criminals elsewhere too but concentration of criminals in the ghetto is huge yeah and uh that is, um, you know, that there's a, some blacks who want more police, more police presence, <laughs> Absolutely. you know, like, I mean, yeah. I, I'm sure there are a lot of black business owners who are really, really happy about that curfew. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm fortunate to be in a very diverse population in school and all around me and, and the opinions are, you know, every, everyone's got one, but it's, there's a lot of people who are very excited and happy about some of the, the what other people would call strong arming of the leadership. So, you mean this sort of uh, very heavy, um, yeah, yeah, and lines and lines of police officers with batons and shields. Some of them upside down. You know, if you're going to carry a shield that says police on it, don't hold it upside down. Unless that covers your nuts more, I don't know. <laughs> maybe, I'm not an expert on these things, but but I, you know, the the. You you talked about are you there for school because you talked about like should I leave and did you mean that sort of like before exams just by the riots or do you mean that sort of in general? Oh, I didn't mean leaving school. Um, I meant should I find a remote location from which to do my studying? And you know I worked very hard to set up everything: the fitness center, my food, my perfect apartment. You know everything's all set up for for going into the you know brutal uh, grind of of studying for exams and you know i didn't so i made a choice not to leave right right and they didn't push any exams uh, i assume they didn't sort of say you know take an extra week or two because insurrection kind of they did not um they did pull some of the ones that were uh, being given in the evening and um, move the schedule around to have some during the day um i believe that some uh some people could defer an exam if they were giving uh legal help to some of the you know, protesters or people who needed it. Um, I never heard that officially, um, but it, mm. you know, heard it through the grapevine. Right. Okay. And are you done your exams? No, no, not at all. I haven't taken any yet. So <laughs> doing this hopefully will survive all. Right, right. And is this, uh, did you move to Baltimore? I assume that you're, you're, is your family from elsewhere? I, I grew up mostly in DC and overseas as well. So um, I, right. <laughs> and is this uh, th this is your first experience with this kind of stuff? Is that right? Um, I lived through nine eleven, uh, and I bicycled to the Pentagon uh, when that happened, and was one of the first people there. Wow. Uh, the street light was broken <laughs> for you conspirators out there, and uh, <laughs> I. <laughs> Did you find the drone? No. <laughs> 
Um, I lived in Bangkok uh, in the 70s, and there were riots going on there. And, you know, there was a lot of danger during that time, too. So um, certainly haven't seen quite this much of a little war. But uh, so it was, it was, you know, still, still shaken. <laughs> right, right. And uh, is this your final year? Uh, nope. I have one more year to go after this. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. And what uh, what made you decide to um, head uh, to Lawyerland? Uh, so I'm doing. Uh, I uh, even though I'd done a lot of writing and art, I'd been uh, working as a paralegal for a long time and had actually gotten very inter- interested in international tax. And it just taps all I'm my. I'm sorry. Act. What now? International tax. <laughs> you got very. Hang on. Sorry. Skype must be. Oh, no, no problem. <laughs> Acting up. Hang on. Sky. I'm sorry. I thought what you said was you got very interested in international tax. Yeah, I did. Was that international sex? No. Was that uh, international taxidermy? Uh, I may have internaval pins. No, I don't no. Want to... Okay, you got to break that out for me, just for personal curiosity. So t- studying tax law is like studying a virus. If you want to know where... <laughs> If you want to learn about life, you study virus. You can study viruses as a way to learn about life because viruses only go where life is. And tax is similar. You know, tax only goes where the business really is happening. I love business um, and I love uh, solving complexity and uh, detangling complexity. So uh, I know that many people will need this who choose to pay their taxes. And um, I've lived overseas. Uh, I went, you know, to college fairly overseas, and uh, it, it was the perfect fit. It taps my aptitude, so that's what wow. I'm doing. Okay, my, my first guess was, like, in Bangkok, you had disturbed the tomb of <laughs> some ancient warlock, and they, you, you, death, death is not, death is too kind. It shall be international tax. No, no, what if no. I get sat to, next to someone at a dinner party and they stab themselves with anyway. I'm no, just kidding. It's no, look, I mean, running you do, ecstasy. You do. It's amazing. I love it. I'm sorry. It's hot and cold running ecstasy for me. I mean, it's just I love it. It's 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 like solving puzzles. It's just it's the coolest thing. <laughs> and 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 herein I am once reminded of the delightful diversity of the human experience. <laughs> Takes all because time. no, no, absolutely. And you know, there's lots of people who are like. Why are you at all interested in ethical philosophy? It's like, because it's hot. Because it makes me sexy. Exactly. <laughs> no, no, I get it. I get it. People like can't believe what the hell. Wait, you could actually make money as a software entrepreneur and you're podcasting? <laughs> but no, that's the wonderful diversity of the human experience. You know, I, I, you know, I know people who and are accountants. I'm glad that there are people who are accountants. But there's and not you a... are the insanely good Steve Jobs of the philosophy world. It's three months that I've been on Freedom Main, and I'm st- I haven't even exhaled yet. So, oh wow, how did you work. how did you find the show to begin with? I um, was studying. I've been reading Ayn Rand, even though I have a liberal background, and I <laughs> was looking up Ayn Rand, and you have a wonderful video series on Ayn Rand. So I was looking at that and went, "Wow, he knows what he's talking." <laughs> so, yeah, was, and I could actually do four of four. I could just change the number to three of three. Anyway. <laughs> no, no, that's cheating. <laughs> we all know. We're all waiting for it. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. It's Miss International Tax. Anyway, you're going to accuse me. Of, I thought that was the point. Anyway, um, all right. Is there is there anything else that you wanted to add? Uh, I certainly wish you the very best with your studies. And, you know, I think it's great to have uh, 
those questioning the state in and around the tax uh, tax land. I think that's fantastic. Thank you. And this is such a great opportunity to, I feel connected and, and feel a little bit of healing from just being uh, being able to talk through it. Thank you so much, Steph. And thanks to my Yeah, and listen, I mean, you know, hang on to that ambivalence. Uh, there's, you know, there's, I get this. Okay, I'm sorry. Do you mind if I just do a tiny man? I really haven't done any yet. Just one. Is that okay yeah. with you? Yeah. Another one? Okay. All right. Come go. Uh, <laughs> rant consent is very important as far as... <laughs> As far as I understand it, but um, there is uh, a a dualistic kind of thinking that is the antithesis of wisdom and curiosity, right? So when I point out facts about a police matter, what do people say? You're pro cop, <laughs> hypocrite, okay. right? Right. And when I uh, point out uh, things about race, ah, you're a racist. You know, like it's just yeah. it, it's just this weird dualism. That people have, like a you know, I, I, yeah, I, I push for female responsibility. I mean, do you know there are no girl orcs? <gasps> what? What? There are no There's girl not? orcs. Oh, that's there are no. I know, and I know this because yeah. I mean, look, we all have our fetishes. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but there are no girl orcs. You see, because. Girl orcs would be to have an evil, evil female character. Yeah. Who, who, who isn't pretty, right? right? Men will accept evil if a woman's pretty. I ain't bad. I'm just drawn that way. But um, <laughs> it's uh, – it, it, so when I push female responsibility and say, listen, we, we have to grant women the respect of allowing them to have good and bad like, like men do. Yeah. People are like, you hate women. You got mommy issues. <laughs> kind of thing, right? <laughs> when, when I say that there are benefits to marriage, it's like – you just want to enslave men through marriage and you hate MGTOWs. It's like, oh, and it's, it is really, I mean, being, being out on the internet is like, you know, strobe lights can give you epilepsy. This alternate, there's no gradations. It's just bright, dark, bright, dark, bright, dark, bright, dark, <laughs> about 3,000 flashes a second. And you've got to stand before it and say, and you've got to use your calming words to soothe people down to some subtlety, some irony, some ambivalence. Uh, I, can, um, I can talk about the facts of a police matter without yeah. endorsing and even when i say i'm not saying i believe i accept all of this stuff but these are still the facts and blah 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 yeah. i can espouse common law principles like innocent until proven guilty without saying i now support everything that's in the tax code you know what i mean like like yeah, people are just like yeah. they can't they can't sort of it's like people feel like any two ideas is like a boat and a dock and they're going apart you to jump on one or the other oh you fall to your death or something right and and so you can't have simultaneous emotions you can't have simultaneous you know juxtaposed positions on things yeah i mean you you're skeptical of of police power and at the same time police power can be very helpful (laughs) right i I get it i get it i mean it is it is a challenging it's a challenging situation thanks yeah and um so so I, I get it. I mean, you, you don't like the fact that helicopters are ordering you into your house at 10 o'clock, but you also like that there's fewer flames around. You know, like, you know I get it. It's, it's not easy to navigate. Uh, this is, I think, I think it is a mark of, I don't know, it sounds kind of elitist, but I think it's kind of a mark of intelligent, oh. of intelligence to um, to be able to have more than one thought about something at a time without slipping into some massive polar opposite scenario where 
it's called polarized thinking or black and white thinking. Yeah. Only a Sith deals in absolutes. <laughs> That's an absolute <laughs> statement. But but I mean, this is this is part of I think the subtlety and intelligence that we need to bring. You know, like I put this video out where I I was talking about how totalitarian Nazism was a kind of socialism and and that. Uh, that's not good. Yeah. And apparently, <laughs> I don't know where they come from. Maybe they have Google alerts. Someone saying something bad about Hitler on the internet. I must intervene. <laughs> and and then it's like Stefan Molyneux is, <laughs> you know, is you know, and it's just like, okay, that only works because you don't know about the silent X at the end. Stefan yeah. Molyneux. Right. Oh, that doesn't work as well, right? But then it's suddenly, um, right. Uh, it's uh, now it's like. <laughs> Suddenly, apparently, it's bad to be anti-Nazi. Yeah. Um, and and this must mean that I'm part of the Jew World Order. Like it's just crazy stuff like this, and it's like, yeah, okay. So um, uh, Hitler hated communists, and I hate communists. So what? I mean that that doesn't mean that Hitler and I are the same, you know? Right. Right. Just right. because I like Viking mythology, I like Vikings. I think they're cool. Sometimes I dress like Vikings. That doesn't make mean that. I'm a Nazi. <laughs> no, no, no. I would say not. And, and I think, I don't think we're going to go any better than you dressed in Viking gear. For most <laughs> of so with like the flames of Baltimore rising behind you as you trying to save kittens from trees or something. But uh, yeah, thanks. Listen, uh, keep, keep in touch. It was a really, really enjoyable conversation. And um, uh, it's, uh, it's great to chat with a new listener and, and certainly welcome to this, this corner of uh, the world of philosophy. Thanks again. All right. Thanks. Take care. All right. Thanks, Julia. Up next is Anthony. Anthony wrote in and said, how do I deal with the feeling of hopelessness and inferiority that I get from not being able to directly positively impact my own outcomes in spite of the fact that I've been able to help many others achieve what I desire? I want to be a good father for my son, and I don't want him to grow up with this lack of agency as a role model. So you've been able to help other people achieve what you yourself desire. I guess that's like why Bruce Jenner buying dresses for his girls or something, right? But can you tell me a little bit more uh, about that? What is that, that part in particular? I want to make sure I understand. Sure, Steph. Uh, can you hear me okay? Yeah, welcome back. Yes, thank you. Um, well, first off, I just I just want to say um, a heart, very heartfelt thank you um, to you. Um, the relationship that my wife and I now enjoy has improved markedly um, since last summer. And, and I just really need to thank uh, you and, and the work that you all are doing there. It hasn't made things easier. It's actually made things harder, but it's made us stronger as a couple. So um, I just wanted to preface the call with that and that gratitude. I'm thrilled to hear and, of course, overjoyed that uh, the the conversation was helpful. So thank thank you very much for I always love to get the updates, you know. People drop off this void of calls and it's like, hey, circle back. So it's great to hear. I'm happy for that. Sure. Uh to to answer your question uh right now, um what what I'm discovering through a lot of journaling and, and a lot of counseling is that um I am I am very, very effective when I have what I uh call um conferred authority. Uh, at achieving things for other people, um, and and helping them to achieve achieve you know business outcomes or or business results or um, something even in their personal life. Um, but when I go to ask for something in return for myself, uh, it's almost like this like 
electric pit in the center of my stomach that like stops me from from proceeding. Right. Right. Okay. So to to sort of give a very concrete analogy, you're happy to help people move, but then when you need help moving, it's doesn't work, you feel anxious about it, is that right? Yes, and and um and I can give you an even more concrete example than that, but I, we I, I would prefer that you actually lead the the call. Oh no, listen, if you've got a, I, I I like dealing with facts rather than, right? Sure. Um well, uh, the perfect example of um up until this past week, I was kind of um uncertain if uh you know this theory that I've had um goes back to when I was even a little kid is that, um, you know, I, I am here to provide for others, but I don't actually get, I am not actually able to provide directly for myself. And, um, that came up this week when my wife and I were at a, a party, um, a family, uh, event for a local business. And my son swallowed a, uh, a staple in a cupcake. <sighs> yes. And, um, I, you know, I mean like right today we're, we're finding out actually that he'll probably be okay. But, um, what I discovered was that it wasn't just a staple in one cupcake. It was a staple in every cupcake. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. And, how and the, I mean, I'm sorry to ask such a prosaic question, but what the, how the hell did, did the cupcake get? Well, when, up a cupcake. well, you know, one would one would ask, is it is it a mistake or is it intentional? And it was actually um, it was intentional. It was quote part of the design. And what? when wait 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 wait, it was intentional that there was a staple. I mean, it sounds like that if there's one in each cupcake, but it was intentional s- that somebody put. I can send like, a picture in the chat. Killing stuff into a cupcake, which kids ate. I can send a picture in the chat if you like. I mean, but no, no, um, no. I'm not no. doubting you. I'm just saying that yeah. isn't that like. Well, Doesn't that the, someone away in jail for life? One one would think, you know, one one would think that someone would have the common sense not to include metal in um in a cupcake. Um, however, when I inquired, um, you know, to the to the business owner and to the 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 homeowner where the venue was, I'm like, hey, you know, like where. We're, we want to, our focus is our son. We want to make sure everything's upset, but we really want to know who made these because it's not safe. And oh God, yeah, I mean, they could be all over the city. They could be, I mean, yeah. So we were being inconvenient to this group that we were previously a part of, and we were ostracized by, you know. No, but don't you call? I mean, I hate to oh, put sure, it this sure. bluntly, but don't you call the cops? We we're in. Uh, we're in contact with uh, the Department of Health, which is who the cop said to call. Um, so with these kinds of issues, yeah, with these kinds of issues. So we, we it is, it is open right now. And um, okay, okay, so good because I mean, this is that 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 is, I mean, close. I mean, I'm no lawyer, but it sounds like close to criminal negligence to me. I mean, people, yeah, can it, from that, it, right? it it pretty much is. I mean, you know, it, but 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 the I guess the point that you know that I'm. I'm making is that like people were actually mad at me for daring to ask who made these cupcakes, you know? And, right. And, right. And, and whereas and, of course they, they should be, um, they should have made the call way before you, uh, to find out because, because people, 
it's like, oh, this is inconvenient to me. It's like, well, it's a lot more inconvenient to some other kid who might not even be as lucky as your son and who might get some sort of perforated stomach lining and acid pours out into their internal organs and Bob's your uncle, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, to, to bring that back to my original, you know, what, I'm, what I originally called in for was that um, before this happened this week, I didn't know if I was imagining it or if, if it was real. And, you know, what I've kind of come to the conclusion of is, number one, I really don't care if these people aren't my friends because they're not my friends if that's how they behave. Um, and that somehow I have surrounded myself with people who behave like that. Yeah, people who your son potentially having a life-threatening thing in a cupcake that wasn't just like one staple that fell off and, you know, bad enough, right? But in every cupcake, there was something that could have killed people, and then you were inconvenient to these people, right? So they obviously have no regard whatsoever for the health and safety of your son uh, and, and of others and others who may be harmed. They're only thinking of their own convenience, right? Right. Yeah. Even so these are complete monsters, complete monsters, in my opinion. I agree. And it you know, it was very eye opening for I was really happy that my wife and I were on the same page. And that's something that, you know, our work together has really solidified us in because there would have been a time where she would have wanted to back down and don't make a fuss. Right. Don't right. right don't make a fuss. And now she's you know, she's like, Anthony, you can't back down with this. You cannot, you know, um, it's our kid, you know? Um, so it's really, it, well, the challenge that I have though, Stefan, is that there's a part of me that we've already, we've, we've retained counsel, right? So I know what the deal is. And there's a part of me that feels bad, like for a split second, but then that goes away. And that's what I think it's, it's sort of that same feeling that I was describing earlier, that sort of like electric stomach pit. Yeah. Like, Oh, I should, Oh, that would be awful. You know, but then I'm like, no, this is my son. This is my family. I have to. You now, know? and I'm sorry to, to interrupt uh, Tony, but, um, or Anthony, but uh, sure, yeah. were you raised religious? Um, so I was, I, I went to Catholic school from, uh, one through six. And um, when I previously talked with you, I didn't think that it had that big of an impact on me um, until our call. And I've done a lot of journaling and reflection, and I realized that it has probably had the largest shaping on my life, sure. um, which which I didn't, which I was completely blind to. So, um, yeah, I'm not religious anymore. Right. No, I get that. I get that. But um, I think I can tell you where your anxiety comes from in, in these kinds of confrontations. Sure. Uh, my enemy, the soul, returns <laughs> to rear its ugly head, right? So, of course, in, in Catholicism, there's a, an essence of the human being, which really is the human being which is how they can make the promise of life after death, right? Mm -hmm. And this is specific in particular 
to Christianity because in the Old Testament you died and that was it, but in the New Testament you're brought back to death for judgment and all that kind of stuff. And it is hard for people to understand who are raised in a religious context where the good in you can't be killed, that you can always reach the good in someone uh, and uh, confession and uh, uh, will restore you to God's grace and so on. It is very hard in the religious mindset, particularly where the soul is involved, to understand the degree to which human tribes are fundamentally in opposition to each other. And irrevocably, at least in the present, irrevocably in opposition to each other, right? So somebody who's empathetic and somebody who's sociopathic exist in a predator-prey relationship. Yes, yes. It's a win-lose relationship. If the person who's empathetic teaches other people about empathy and self-protection, which hopefully is a little bit of my job description, then the sociopath is revealed, is unmasked, and is uh, uh, rendered impotent, has to get a real job, which is not great, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's the, the, I don't know if you ever watched the new Battlestar Galactica, but the uh, spoiler, <laughs> I don't think it's much of a spoiler, <laughs> but the the Cylons, I think they're called, uh, uh, for the first time, like in the previous one, they didn't, but now they look like people, right? So they can have cool, orgasmic, spine-glowing sex or whatever, right? And the big challenge is, you know, can you can you figure out a machine that's going to let you detect whether a person is a person or a member of an alien race bent on your subjugation and destruction, right? Hmm. Now, the Cylons are not human, right? They are an alien race and I think a robot race and and they are, you know, they want to enslave and destroy humanity. Now, this is true of people. That that you know we are not all hands across the water, kumbaya. Everyone's the same deep down. We're all, you know, there's good in the worst of us and bad in the best of us, and it's just a matter of grace. And you know that we're all together in one human journey and human adventure. And and if we show empathy to those who are cruel, we will melt away their cruelty and so on. Right? This is not, you know, we exist among human beings. Um, not all, of course. You know, we've got a great circle of friends and family, but. Um, and, and you know, massive props to to the listeners who keep all of this going. But um, we are in predator prey relationships, mm. and there is win lose in human society. We're not all one big happy family. We are an ecosystem, and what you feel, I think, is that you are dealing with people like you. Yeah. And so, so you extend empathy because you make the mistake of thinking you're talking to a zebra when you're, in fact, arming for a lion. Right? So you, put, you say, well, if I was in that position, then I wouldn't want to, whatever, be, be what, in trouble or something like that. And so because you were raised with the idea of the soul and that there's you in everyone, because everyone has a soul or created as equals in the eyes of God and so on, right? Right. And so to to refuse empathy, to view someone as an enemy, is an act of impiety. It is an act of blasphemy, if that makes any sense. Yes. Because it is refusing to recognize what Mother Teresa 
bless her blackened little heart, uh, said about the poor. I don't serve the poor. I serve Christ in the poor, right? In every poor person, I see Jesus. And to fail to see the humanity in someone else, to fail to see their goodness, is to fail to see that they are a creature made by God with the divine spark of virtue that cannot be extinguished in their breast, right? Mm -hmm. But this is not the reality uh, of everything that ethics, and I believe a significant portion of brain science tells us as well, that somebody who was born and tragically receives terrible treatment, particularly in the womb and and certainly thereafter, receives brutal, cold-hearted, mean uh, treatment, we can have great sympathy for the sorrows that they went through and the pain and the agony and that they went through and the the neglect and the right we can have if, great sympathy but it doesn't mean that they're not a lion it doesn't mean that it is win lose between us and the identification of you know when i had cancer yeah kill those cells you know it's win lose i want them to die so i don't right right and that is that is the reality uh, of of a significant portion of the human race it is win lose and this idea like we feel this hesitation to act staunchly against those who are fundamentally opposed to everything that makes life worthwhile for good people. I mean, and so we, we, we are causing trouble for others and we think they're like us. And then we say, well, I wouldn't want people to cause trouble for me and so on, but they're not like us. Maybe they don't have mirror neurons. Maybe they've just committed to exploiting people. They, they're not like us. And to say, well, you know, they're people like we're people, they're people like we're people the way that a gazelle and a tiger are both mammals, <laughs> okay? Yeah. But they sure as hell don't have the same interest. In fact, their interest is win-lose and fundamentally opposed. And that's a that's a, a very empirical, philosophical, but anti-religious sentiment, if that makes any sense. So, Stefan, that that really a lot of that resonated with me and and clicked on some things in my head. And the biggest question that I have, I have two from that is. You know, my heart was pitter pattering when I'm listening to you, and I'm like, I'm food. How do I not be food? That's question number one. And question number two is, why is it that I'm comfortable being a predator and a, a damn good predator when it's authorized by other people, but I can't do it for myself? Oh, uh, tell me how. What, what do you mean by? So, if, if, if. Somebody else either contracted me or hired me or, uh, you know, under working for some agency said, go accomplish this. Mm. I would be, I would, I would, I would do that. You know, not, not like, you know, hurting people, but, um, like I would be extremely efficient and have been extremely efficient and effective. At, oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, but, I get it. I get it. Okay, yeah. So right. you're talking about the outsourced conscience. Okay. So, uh, having your old, having your own conscience, mm-hmm. is a very difficult thing for most people. 
I don't think it used to be quite as much, but it certainly has been the sort of relativism, goopy sense, you know, sympathy for everyone uh, stuff that's going on. I think it's become harder in some ways. But ju- just before we move to that, I just want to add one little point about sure, sure. Uh, religion. Religion, to some degree, was invented by evil people to make good people hesitate by saying that we're all the same, we all have a soul, and so on, right? It, it causes the fatal hesitation that allows immorality to win, right? Like, I mean, if you're in a duel with someone, if you can get them to hesitate for one second when you turn and are about to fire, you're going to win the duel, right? And so this hiccup that, that you feel, this this uh, tentativeness, this this anxiety that you feel in confrontation, uh, that's sort of the point of religion. It's to get you to stall so that the other person wins. It's to get you to hesitate uh, so that the other person uh, wins. Uh, on the battlefield, this is, of course, if you can get the other person to hesitate, then you get the advantage, significant advantage in, in all combat, right? Hesitation on the part of the other person grants significant uh, uh, increased chances of, of victory. Absolutely. And uh, so this this idea that we're all the same and and we all have the soul, all children of God and so on, it's just designed to make you hesitate. But what you're talking about, the outsourcing of conscience. So, you know, if I go up to a bunch of guys at the mall and say, let's invade Iraq, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, they're going to be like, what? <laughs> what are you smoking? And keep it away from us, right? Uh, and um, but but if you put a particular kind of uh, structure in place and and heavily imbue it with propaganda, then people will do that. They they will outsource their conscience in the same way that if if the priest blesses the warriors, <clears throat> then they've outsourced their conscience to him. And the harvesting of human conscience is the fundamental task of a hierarchy because if you can get people to turn over their conscience to you then nothing will stop them from obeying your orders i'll take your conscience okay the pope talks directly to god and god has said that the invasion of iraq is morally good it is a just war okay (laughs) right so now you've harvested people's conscience you've embodied it in a weird ex-Nazi with a funny hat, and now um, they will just uh, do do whatever you say. And so the outsourced conscience is fundamental. It's the same thing with uh, the cops, right? Well, the Congress has passed a law, and so it's the law of the land, and so we got to go do it and, and you know shoot anyone who fights us back and disagrees, right? That's the outsourced conscience. And um, it happens uh, all over the place with the state. Uh, the, the state and the church in particular harvest and, and collect. So there's an old story by Google called uh, Dead Souls about a guy who's uh, going around buying souls. And I won't say, it's, a, it's a great story to read. Uh, and I've always really found it a very powerful analogy because this is what hierarchies do is they buy souls. They say, join this hierarchy and I will relieve you of the burden of your individual conscience through metaphor, through ritual, through appeals to authority. I will take from you this hot, inconvenient rock that you have to carry around called your individual conscience. And people are desperate in many ways to give up their individual conscience because, of course, if enough people do it, anyone who retains theirs gets attacked, right? By all the people who only have left of their conscience, guilt and aggression. So, wow. yeah, people give you permission. Well, 
so I guess what is the what is the, the the path then to to reclaim that for oneself? I think it's recognizing that people may look like you, but they're not you. You know, I mean, Joseph Stalin looks like a person, right? <laughs> yeah, it looks like a you know an exceedingly over jovial uncle you probably wouldn't want to leave your kids with, but <laughs> he looks like a person, but he's not a person, right? He is a a predator who waves his hand and with the bought consciences of those underneath him can kill millions of people and, and did. Hitler was not a person like you and I. Right. Right. He was as um, Winston Churchill described him, an adventurer of the old school, back when adventurer meant somebody <laughs> who was really dangerous. Right. And Napoleon was uh, not a person like you and I because I can't, I couldn't just take a bunch of people and order them to their deaths. I couldn't do it. And uh, they're not like you and I. I've said this, this story before, but at the end of the First World War, uh, I think it was what, November the 11th, 1918, it was the last day of the First World War, and peace was going to be declared at 11 o'clock. And there was a commander who had received orders for his men to go out on a sortie into no man's land at 8 o'clock in the morning. He knew that the war was going to be over at 11, but still he sent his men out, and a bunch of them got shot. Wow. Son of a bitch. Yeah. I mean, son of a bitch. Wouldn't you be really happy to not get people killed in the last couple of hours of a war you know for certain is going to end? No, but see, that's not like us. I, I could never... I, I mean, I couldn't do that even in the best of circumstances, and I certainly would never, ever do that you know like there's i don't know if you've ever seen a movie called the life of brian yeah okay so you know that there's a the when they're sort of lining up to be crucified you know crucifixion one guy is like crucifixion's too good for him nail them up i say nail some sense into them and then there's this really dewy-eyed gentle guy is like oh i don't know it's it's, it's pretty nasty <laughs> and, and your name is are you okay like he's like really <laughs> kind of nice and gentle and the other guy is a complete psychopath who like loves the idea of people getting nailed uh, to to crosses well they're not the same species right it's not not the same species uh you know somebody who's going to sexually prey on your kids they're not of your species and this fundamental mistake that we we look across the broad swath of humanity the win-lose of humanity the predator-prey relationship of humanity and think that we're all the same is something that is so belied by history you know up until they really started turning up the sociopath soul scrubbing basic training uh, after the uh, second world war like 80 or more percent of soldiers never fired their weapons at an enemy because the prohibition against murder is so strong in people and yet there were those still 20 percent who who did and then you know a bunch of people who enjoyed it i mean Churchill loved war. He loved it. He said, God help me. I don't like myself for liking it, but I love it so. Disgusting. Well, yeah, but uh, that is, that's the way it goes, right? I mean, that is the reality of the human condition that there are people in the world whose interests are directly opposed to us, and it's them or us. You know, it's good people or 
bad people. And, you know, I, I believe in, in peaceful parenting. I know it's going to make a lot more good people and reduce the prevalence of bad people. And I look forward to the day when that occurs. But that's not the world we live in right now. You know, like <laughs> when you uh, when you settle a city, you drive out the wolves, right? And then you don't have to worry about wolves when you walk down Fifth Avenue, right, in Manhattan. But we are not in the city of the future yet. We are in the land of wolves and predators. And that is the reality. In the future, we will not have to worry about wolves and predators, but right now, they stand between us and a better world. And, you know, based upon your story, uh, these people put staples into the bellies of children. Yeah. Yeah. H how do I... How do I prevent my son from getting the hiccup without turning him into, into a monster? Yes, this, of course, is the great warning of Nietzsche, is that uh, be careful when you fight monsters that you do not become a monster. Hmm. I don't have a deep or syllogistic argument for this, but uh, the, the shadow cast by love is hate. And it is a weak, weak person who disallows himself to hate. I mean, we are the immune system. We thinkers are the immune system of the social body. You know, if you have some virus or some infection in your body, do you want your immune system to be understanding? No. You want it to be murderous, right? kill, 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 and don't stop until they're all dead. And you remember them well enough that if any of those new bastards come along, you can kill them without even breaking a sweat, right? Right. I mean, the viruses want to live, and so do you. And it's them or you, right? And so to love virtue is to hate vice. To love goodness is to hate evil. Everybody loves the goodness stuff. It's the hating of the evil stuff that is a challenge, right? Mm -hmm. And knowing that there is a battle, you know, we all love to watch these battles on, you know, superheroes and all that. We love love to watch these battles on uh, in movies and and on television and so on. We just love. I mean, just watched Battle of the Five Armies, and it's just like, man, if you gave a dollar to every, <laughs> if you got a dollar for every giant orc that was killed by Tom Thumb the dwarf, I mean, <laughs> you'd walk out of there a millionaire, right? And uh, they all know that it's the orcs or them. It's it's good and it's evil. And uh, to to you know to remind your children at age appropriate times and with non traumatic examples that the story of the victory of virtue is not at an end as yet. The the paradise that virtue can deliver humanity into is still far over the horizon, and there are many devils between us and the peace of the species. I think that if you allow yourself to love virtue and accept that that is going to have you hate vice, the hatred of vice that you retain is your immunity from becoming the monster that you fight. I see. People are uncomfortable with hatred. And of course, <laughs> evil people want us to be uncomfortable. 
with hatred, of course, right? Because that's our weapon. That's the only thing that, that will allow us to win in the long run. Right. Well, I'm just, I'm, uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm just at this, this crossroads right now, this sort of like, um, you know, I, I want to, obviously I want to be a good provider for my son and my, and my family. And I want to raise him up peacefully. Um, you know, and this call has really helped me see that, um, you know, that's not basically, um, oh man, it's just, I, I, I'm just still taken aback and uh, by how, how much of an impact that religious upbringing had on me from so long ago. Well, look, I mean, Catholicism has had over 2,000 years to refine itself. You know, the fact that you didn't overcome it as a toddler and a child is entirely understandable. Right? <laughs> I mean, how yeah. the hell are you supposed to, right? I mean, a toddler can't take on a seven-year-old, let alone a 2,000-year-old, right? Right. Of course. I mean, there's no – I mean, the – I was talking about this with a friend the other day. The, the effects of my religious upbringing will always be with me. Of course. Of course. I mean, it's a near-perfect virus. And you, you can't fight it. I mean, it's hard enough to fight with support, and particularly if your parents are pouring it into you. I mean, it's, it can't be – I mean, it would be an impossible fight. If the fight were possible, religion wouldn't have survived and all the good and bad of, of, of the results of that. So, no, I, I think, you know, don't ever underestimate the degree to which early values uh, are still part of your life, and they always will be. I can, relect, I can reject religion, but I cannot reject that I've had to reject religion. Right? Still, <laughs> right. right? Right. Yeah, it just, I, I would not consider my experience to be like, a, you know, fundamental, fundamentalist. Um, mm. But, you know, I distinctly recall um, being punished. I would be punished if any of the other boys in the class misbehaved. Because um, I guess I was like the, a fairly clever or bright boy. Um, and I like, I, yeah, it just, I mean, it was, it, the more I look into it, the more I'm just, you know, like, okay, well, so I'm constantly trying to manage everyone else's um, behavior, or I was, I had been, because I feared the consequences if someone else misbehaved. Well, right? yeah, you understand, though, the collective punishment is a way of making sure that hierarchies flourish off slave-on-slave violence, right? Collective punishment is the most ancient way of turning the slaves against each other and getting them to police each other. Because if the slaves put down each other's rebellions, you don't need that many whips in your hand, right? Right. So yep. collective punishment. Like I remember when I was a kid, there'd be this, you know, have a piece of gum. I'm just enjoying a piece of gum because it relieves the tedium of this god-awful school experience. And a teacher would be like, Stefan Mullen, did you, did you bring enough gum for everyone in the class? It's like, well, it's not my job to chew gum. It's your job to teach. Did you bring any good teaching for anyone in the class? Isn't that a little <laughs> bit more important than whether I have any gum? <laughs> I, I should correct myself, Stefan, because I, I didn't actually mean collective punishment. I meant that if anyone 
misbehaved, it was supposed to be up to me to address that. And so, but what, sorry, why you? I, I know you said you were clever, but why? Why you? Well, the, the, right. So the the nun would say, "Well, you are the best student in the class, so you need to set a role model for the other students." Uh, and so if you see them doing something wrong, and you don't stop it, then uh, I'm going to punish you. Um, oh, I see. I see. So so because you were the quickest witted, you were supposed to be the one who ferreted out. So you were like the little secret police, the NKVD, the Gestapo. Uh, in amongst the class, right? Trying to get people to, or more like pleading with people not to misbehave, right? I would, ha- I would. Well, go, no, but but that's that, that's to make sure that you are disliked by your classmates, and and therefore your intelligence can't be something that that uh, in combination with charisma could lead any kind of rebellion, right? So you sure. t- you pick this. You pick, this is why smart kids are always picked on because smart kids represent a threat to those in power, and so whatever teachers can do to turn students against smart people means that they're insulated from the kind of intelligence that might actually lead them out of the wilderness. Interesting. Wow. You, you form a cyst around intelligence so that it can't threaten a hierarchy, right? Yes. Which is also known as academia, but anyway. Wow. Wow. Well, thank you. I mean, I've just, I, my brain is full again. Um, and I, I've learned so much. I mean, um, it's not, you know, it's not easy. What you're saying about the ostracism, I, I can't tell you how powerful that is. How powerful ostracism is? You know, that's the whole foundation of a free society, so I think you can tell me. Right. No, no. I mean, like… If ostracism you know, doesn't work, we're stuck with the state. No, no, no. But, but even even when it's used for, for non-virtuous uh, – by non-virtuous people, mm-hmm. um, it works both ways. It cuts both ways is, is my point. And the experience. Oh yeah, of, evil people can use it as, as well. Oh, absolutely. Right. And of so course, I, yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how painful it was for my wife to receive these threats um, from her her people who she sees every day. Oh, she received threats because you guys had a problem with staples in food in children's food. <laughs> right. right. And and you know it, it just I mean it is extremely powerful, like just amazingly. It cuts both, but it does cut both ways. Oh, absolutely. Of course, yeah. No, there's no question of that. And this is why people try to isolate thinkers in society, you know, through ridicule, attack, and mockery, and hostility, and so on. I don't actually engage in the arguments. I mean, that's a lot of work. <laughs> but, you know, you can spread horrible rumors about people, and, hey, look at that. <laughs> right, so. Right. So, no, I, I think I, it is right. And, of course, I mean, uh, the... The mechanics of a free society are even better understood by evil people than by good people, and we're trying to fix that through this show. Right. Right. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Right. Thank you. Keep us posted, and uh, I, I certainly wish you the very best of luck with protecting future children from staples in the belly. That's, I mean, that really is horrifying, and I'm, I'm glad you're doing something about it. Indeed. I, uh, I, I posted in the, in the Skype chat there a picture for you to uh, – to check out but uh in any event um thank you once again for a very very uh meaningful call that will mean a lot to me and my family if if this has done anything like the last call did i will have some amazing uh things to report to you well i'm thrilled and and please do pass along my very very best wishes and and admiration for your wife 
in in her joining of of your journey and uh you know just just tell her like good good for her like i mean that's it's tough, you know, when, when you're married to someone and then they get into some new way of thinking or hopefully just way of thinking. I mean, it's a challenge. So I really do uh, appreciate her support of, of what you're doing and her participation in this. So do give her my best. Well, thank you very much. All right. Take care, Anthony. Bye-bye. All right. Up next is Josh. Josh wrote in and said, Many years ago, there was a scene in an episode of Futurama where the human race goes extinct because they all choose sex robots that look exactly like celebrities, such as Marilyn Monroe, instead of dating each other and having children. While far-fetched years ago, it seems probable that within less than a decade, there might be a thriving sex robot industry, and not just in Japan, but in America too. So in the long run, how is marriage and human-to-human sexual relationships going to compete with sex robots? All right. I, I feel I feel that this show should never have gone three thousand episodes without dealing with sex robots. So, I, I appreciate you bringing up the topic. I assume you yourself are not a sex robot because I don't think the technology is quite that advanced yet, right? No, no. Uh, so, um, just if I could first start off, say that uh, I have um, finally decided to do some therapy, and I uh, I signed up. Um, I have my first session tomorrow with a therapist, um, and you are a big part of that, and I, I'm very helpful about it. And um, that was like one of the questions in the in the email. I just wanted to, uh, you know, finally stop procrastinating on that. And um, the second thing is back on subject. I know I don't own any sex toys. I've never really wait. We've expanded it from robots to toys as a whole. Well, I feel like, you know, sex robots are derivative of like, of like sex toys today. Um, and so I've never owned any. And part of me thought that, you know, if I owned the sex toy, the idea, it would kind of discourage, it would discourage like going out there and trying to pursue a woman, you know, go out and yeah, yeah. The world. get it. At least until sex robots get the right of alimony and child support. But yeah, right. no, I, 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 I'm just sort of envisioning. Okay, first of all, of course, and no disrespect to you, but I'm going to be listening for faint buzzing sounds during the, <laughs> in the conversation. <laughs> and also, it's you know, to to my I guess slightly ancient 20th century way of thinking, a sex lubricant is not something that involves engine oil. But uh, <laughs> I guess now <laughs> that's changing. But um, so, um, so sex robots would be uh, would they be companions, uh, or would they simply be simulacrums for sexual activity, um, like like highly sophisticated blow up dolls kind of thing, or would they be more like robot companions? Uh, two notes on that. Uh, first being, um, so I saw this video that had like a million views on YouTube that came out in December, and it's like talking about how you know, the sex robot discussion and people were, some news broadcasters were like talking about it and, uh, they kind of showed some, some, uh, designs that a French artist put. And then they also showed this video of a, uh, it had to be, robot. it had to be French, you know, it's <laughs> yeah, never a it Scotsman. Okay. Then, uh, <laughs> right. I got it. They <laughs> golf, not uh, other sinking activities. Okay, go on. Right, and then there's this robot that dances. It's like a stripper robot. And, and <laughs> right. uh, 
peeling off the layers right to the music and right. i was like wow and then I, of course i've seen before like um like in japan they already have like full-blown uh models that people have sex with and <laughs> okay you can't you can't use the phrase full-blown when talking about <laughs> sex robots. no these are I'm not just telling you they're not blown up. They're just, they're actually like. No, no, I'm talking about blown like blowjob, just to really okay. stretch the joke out, so to speak. Okay. No, and so I think about like, all right, this is 2015. Like, I got like this super smartphone that I just got. And I was like, wow, like in 10 years, especially the way that like relationships between men and women are really fractured today. Like, there's so many men that just like just play games and like dating is just like why bother and it's not just in japan it's like in europe uh, it's in it's in the west um okay but but let's so i i get that i mean there, there certainly will be some people who would prefer artificial sex to real sex right and we don't have to go to sex robots to know that. We simply right. have to look at the prevalence of pornography, right? Because uh, masturbation to pornography is kind of like a two-dimensional sex robot with your hand or whatever, right? That that you can achieve your orgasm and uh, and so on without anyone else uh, there, right? Uh, so, right. But on the so, same... Yeah, I would assume that that would be kind, kind of a driver. Right. And I don't... I'm not going to say that it's going to be given up completely... But I just wonder how it's going to change, given that, like, there's no laws, like, there's prostitution laws against, like, men going out and just, you know, sleeping with a prostitute. But, like, if men, because, like, sex for men and women is a bit different. Like, I think for women, it's more on the emotional side, where for guys, it's more on the... um, I, I just need this to <laughs> be able to think <laughs> for tomorrow. So, um, yeah, and that there are some studies that have come out. I think just very recently that we we talked in the Truth About Sex presentation, which everyone should check out at freedomainradio.com uh, slash videos or YouTube slash freedomainradio.com. Uh, sorry, YouTube.com slash freedomainradio. But um, we we talk about how the number of sexual partners that a woman has significantly impacts her happiness in marriage and the success of the marriage, like the more sexual partners a woman has, the less likely she is to remain happily married. This does not seem to occur for men. So the number of male, sorry, the number of, of sexual partners a man has doesn't seem to have any effect on the stability of marriage, but the number of uh, sexual partners a woman has does. So yeah, of course, men and women, I mean, just look at the number of sperm versus the number of eggs, and it shouldn't be hard to figure out what goes on from there in terms of sex differences. Right, right. And um, so I was just thinking, like, this might be a thing in the future. Um, and I, I personally, like, I was asking myself, like, would I do it? And like, it goes back to what I thought about, like, not buying a sex toy because at the same... Like, but, well, sorry, when you say sex toy... I mean, what do you mean? Do you mean like a, like, like what do they call them, a, a, a fleshlight or something yeah. like that? Uh, like, so that's an artificial vagina, right? Uh, you know, women get vibrators and stuff like that. Right, right. Okay. And I think that there are also like just heads for oral sex and so on. 
But anyway, oh, they blow up, blow up, I, yeah, I, I, blow up I, dolls I, and so on. You know those those blow up dolls with the perpetually surprised expression and so on, right? Right. So like these are basically like sophisticated, but like it just got me thinking of it like that in Futurama, like they had uh, like people that, that they actually like like a Marilyn Monroe was um was was going on Fry and the, and then he. Uh, he passed out. He passed away having sex with this Marilyn Monroe robot, and then it showed. It backed up and it showed that all all humanity just gave up. <laughs> and I was just and I, that's really far fetched. And I don't think it's gonna ever come to that. But like oh, I feel that I think it might. I mean, but that doesn't mean that's sort of the end of society. That just means that a more virile society will come along, right? And but and take him over, right? And and. And so I was I was thinking about this question a lot, like why why did this come to mind? Why did I why did I submit it? And it kind of got me like like thinking emotionally, like why? Uh, like it made me think about myself and like because I haven't. It's okay. Some small background. Um, I think the way I've like I, I like I originally I you know pursued women because you know I was young and. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to have sex and I want to get laid. And then I did this and I, uh, and it was really unfulfilling. Like relationships just felt like, I feel that like, like, okay, I did this thing called a relationship that sucked and now it's horrible. I don't ever want to do it again. And I did it so many times. Well, wait, wait, no, hang on, because you're, you're talking about two things. You're talking about sex and you're talking about a relationship, right? Right, and the reason I'm saying that is because I think the ori- original driver for a lot of men is they want to get laid, and then the later on they get feelings and they think, yeah, okay, you know, I want to... Um, it, it, it's, that, uh, it's that first, like, lust is like kind of... Um, no, m- m- I, look, I get it. M- men are incredibly vulnerable to falling in love. Or what's called for the biochemical endorphin yeah. released fantasy called men are incredible and women know this right like there's this documentary called sex lies and rinsing r-i-n-s-i-n-g okay that uh it talks about these women who basically flirt with men they never sleep with them at least so they claim i think it's true they seem far too cynical and bitter to actually enjoy sex but uh, uh they they flirt with men and then men buy them stuff and just keep buying them stuff. And, you know, like this, this this model who, you know, guys will pay 50 pounds to, to speak with her on Skype for 10 minutes. And uh, so men are incredibly susceptible to infatuation, probably is the best way of putting it. And I think that men are much more susceptible to infatuation than women are. Well, and I, and I that's don't. because 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 women women have to spend so much more energy and resources to produce a child than men do, right? So women tend to be at least you know in a state of nature because the the equivalent for the equivalent of sex robots for women is the welfare sorry the equivalent of sex robots for men is the welfare state for women, right? Which provides them an artificial husband without an actual person being there, right? That the, the husband is supposed to give the woman resources while she's laid up having babies and breastfeeding and taking care of an endless brood. The husband is supposed to be providing her resources. And so the welfare state is the sex robot 
and the pornography for women. This is what's so funny to me about women who are against pornography. It's like, okay, then you should be against the welfare state, which is just pornography for women because it gains them the advantage of being in a relationship without them actually having a human being there, right? They get resources without a husband in the same way that a masturbating or sex robot fetishizing man can get sexual release without a woman being present. Well, sex, uh, sexual release for resources is the old trade in the animal kingdom. It's not the only thing that goes on in a relationship, but it's the reason why there is a relationship and the reason why there are two genders. And so it's just kind of funny that that we we have a sex robot called the welfare state for women, and uh, uh, yet you know if men even remotely think of going down that direction, it's weird. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> just want to point that out, right? No, that I totally resonate with what you're saying there, uh, and that's I've never I didn't go like MGTOW, but I I didn't really know about that term until within the last couple of years or so, but I kind of already did it. Um, just within the last few years, I was like, man, like, why would I ever want to go back? MGTOW, men grabbing their own wallet. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, and so I didn't know why. I was like, I don't know why I would want to go back to pursue relationships with women. And it wasn't until you started talking about, like, self-knowledge and like the value of marriage and like how what to look for in a woman and like i was like wait like there's there's another way and like, look I, I mean and and let me just make i'm sorry to interrupt but let's just make, make this basic speech i don't forget it because it, it, it is important and i think it really does fit into what you're uh what you're talking about um societies that Reduce struggle, reduce risk, reduce challenge, reduce uncertainty are conquered by societies that don't. I mean, it's just the basic reality of, of the way that societies work. We all have an inbuilt desire to reduce risk and to eliminate, like each individual has a desire to eliminate negative consequences of bad decisions. Of course we do. It's natural. We also have an infinite desire to you know sit on the couch and and eat cheetos right and not work and have free money and <laughs> all these kinds and we all have of course that's natural and through the state we can achieve uh, uh, artificial results non-organic results right through the state we can like the so women who choose choose a bad guy they can get the state to pay for their abortions or or pay for their housing or or get free quote free schools and subsidies and healthcare and all this sort of shit right so mm -hmm. when we refuse to let individuals fail they only took the moral hazard in the marketplace to hell with that the more real moral hazard is in the sexual marketplace and if you you know we're bailing out the banks it's like <laughs> we're bailing out the single moms people <laughs> it's a little bit more that's, the, that's why we have to bail out the banks is because we're bailing out the single moms and so when we don't uh, allow or accept failure at an individual level, societies fail. So right now we're in this, and I've mentioned this before, we're in this weird extreme swing of the pendulum where women, to a large degree, are running politics. I mean, sometimes think that the only reason there's a military industrial complex or an empire is so that women can get turned on by men in uniform and get their pensions and stable income. And 
so if if there does turn out to be a craze in sex robots, well, all that will happen is that those cultures will die off and other cultures will move in to take their place. Mm. For instance, I submit Europe as a whole, where uh, the the original inhabitants of Europe are not uh, having children very much. And let's just say new arrivals to the land of Europe are having uh, babies by the beach sand bucketful. And so the the people who uh, don't deal with the tendency of uh, – all societies tend towards gynocentrism. Like all, all societies tend towards uh, pleasing the needs of women. That That's natural. It's inevitable. And free societies keep that balance. And state societies simply do not, particularly social welfare democracies, uh, simply do not keep that balance. Uh, women have so much power in society that giving them the power of the state as well is completely – I mean, we've seen all this distortion that has gone on, and I've got whole presentations about this on the channel, so I won't go into any kind of detail here. But yeah, that there may be very compelling sex robots, and that may make a lot of guys um, withdraw from the sexual arena. And uh, that means that simply there'll just be fewer and fewer kids, and then the society will be taken over either um, somewhat peacefully through immigration or somewhat non-peacefully through invasion. Um, yeah, it's the story of the Roman Empire. I mean, the Roman Empire got increasingly gynocentric towards the end and uh, it collapsed. And, uh, you know, men plus the state is a natural limiter because men pay the taxes. And men go to war. So men have – there's a reason why it's the founding fathers and not the founding mothers because men have a skepticism of the state because the men suffer the most directly when the state expands. But as I talked about recently in another show, it's not the same with women. And uh, when women and the state get together, um, society um, quite rapidly falls apart. It's not because there's anything wrong or bad about women. Uh, It's just the nature of politics – Plus vagina. It's just it's just the way that uh, sexual selection works. So, you know, any any society that gets addicted to sex robots won't be around for very long. I mean, it just it just won't, and um, it, it will be an increasingly aging society. It will be an increase. I mean, you you, you see, of course, this stuff happening in places like uh, uh, Italy and and Spain, Portugal, France, Japan, uh, Japan of course, uh, England. Yeah, I mean, certainly. Um, and uh, it's it's just a sign that society has swung too much one way or, or the other. And so when societies go off the rails, in other words, once they lose the self-correction of the marketplace, right? And the state, the state is it, 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 the state is like steroids that make your arms so strong that when you lift weights, they they fall off, right? <laughs> I mean, the muscles are way stronger than they should be, so the you know, bones rip out of the joints and rip out of the sockets, and 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 you're left with like very heavy weights in your arms on the ground, bleeding to death in the corner. It just it steroids up things too much, and the natural correction of the marketplace would be uh, would be the result. Like would be the results. Uh, it, it's blocked. It's blocked from from any kind of natural compensation. 
Um, you know, like self-regulating systems don't involve the state. Like the weather doesn't respond very well to the state, even when the state claims it wants to control it, doesn't do a very good job. And uh, the weather, because it's not subject to the state, has a self-balancing mechanism. Uh, there are um, uh, natural phenomena occur this way as well, right? So, I mean, if a if a predator is removed and then from an environment, you know, think of the rabbits in Australia and so on. If, if the uh, if the predators are removed, then the the their prey outbreed and then all starve to death, right? So there's this balance in nature. One of the great famines in human history that's generally underreported occurred a couple of hundred years ago in France, where um, there were uh, bugs that were um, uh, eating the foliage, and the, the emperor wanted things to be more green. And so they, you know, trapped and killed the bugs, trapped and killed the birds and so on. And then, you know, problem was that the, uh, uh, oh, they, um, uh, the birds, the birds were eating the foliage. So they, they got rid of all of the, uh, the birds and then the insects, uh, uncontrolled by the birds, uh, ended up eating all the crops and like tens of millions of people died of starvation, right? So it's only the state that can produce these wild oscillations in, uh, in any kind of system. The massive violence does that. And so, in a, in a system where there was uh, too much power, ac- uh, sort of centralizing in in uh, women, then yeah, men would veer away from getting married to women, and then other women would be willing to relinquish certain powers in order to get men to come back. But that's not the way it works with the state, right? I mean, the state just makes all the laws, and and people just you know mar- marry the alpha male state until it rides them into the grave. So. Anyway, I sort of wanted to mention, yeah, sex robots could certainly be there and would be compelling for people, and it would be the end of that particular culture. And then some other culture would come along that uh, was more aggressive uh, or more lively or whatever, and then that would be uh, um, that would take over, right? So it's not the end of the world. It's not the end of human society. It's just the end of, of that society. So the, basically the Western societies that where the pendulum is swung too far one way uh, will kind of uh, are basically going to be overrun by other cultures. Well, unless people do something. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's what history tells us quite repeatedly that when a culture loses the basic desire to fuck, it gets fucked. (laughs) Yeah. I saw this vice special where they, they went to Japan and they, I guess they're called herbivores or something. And, and yeah. like it, it I, I feel like society's kind of headed that way, and it got kind of scared because I was like, "Man, like I need to <laughs> get back in the dating game and uh, <laughs> create some um, people in the future that will, uh, you know, reverse these things." Uh, well, I mean, yeah, or, or you know, we can just give up and become like the uh, you know the mouse utopia experiments. They've they've tried to design six million different ways that they can create a perfect environment for mice. Like no predators, just the right temperature, more than enough food, as much sexual access as possible. And it never works. It always degenerates into chaos and violence and fighting. But there are a group of mice that basically remove themselves from any interaction with society. They go off onto the side. They groom themselves. They try to make themselves look pretty. But they don't engage in sex and they basically just get enough food to eat. And like they're the MGTOWs and other people who have uh, gone galt. And um, they just look at all of the chaos. Wow, this and, is uh, that's the way. Yeah, but but that's so that's where where things are at the moment, and maybe people will uh, wake up 
uh, and uh, maybe people will say, yeah, you know, we have uh, a civilization and a culture that is worth preserving in the West, and uh, we're willing to start doing the necessary fights uh, to do that. And I, I applaud the MGTOWs for, for doing what they're doing. I mean, for uh, bringing attention to this, like, state steroided gynocentrism and so on. I think it's it's fantastic work, and it's been very illuminating to me. Uh, is the solution to not breed? Well, I have some <laughs> some doubts about that. Uh, I think that uh, if we look at the cultures that would take the place of Western culture, uh, they're not cultures I want to live in. And uh, um, the wonderful thing about not having kids is it makes you it, it tempts you with fundamental indifference to the future. But yeah. uh, when you have kids, your time frame extends. You know, like there's this thing about. Keynes, right? Keynesianism, the Jean Maynard Keynes, the uh, economist. People would say, well, in the long run, and he'd say, well, in the long run, we're all dead. Well, he was gay. He didn't have kids. <laughs> yes, it's true for you, but it's not true for us breeders. So, Wow. Yeah. But I just, just to reiterate, like, you really changed a lot of my uh, attitudes towards dating and just women, marriage, everything. And so I was, that's why I'm always taken aback when people are like, oh, Steph is such a misogynist and like he's, he hates women. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> I, I've developed a much, a much better respect for women than I, I didn't have before because, you know, I didn't grow up in a, a great household. And, uh, so it's just like hearing from what you said. And I, I heard just hearing like, uh, some of the women, callers that call in and talk about their dedication to peaceful parenting and like I was like wow like there's um I really don't need to not check myself out because no you don't you don't need to check yourself I again I I don't think that I think if it if it was so late in society that the only option was was to strike was to go on strike I wouldn't even do a I wouldn't do a show I wouldn't do a podcast I wouldn't. I mean, I'm doing this because it's not too late. Right. Right. This, this this isn't a check yourself into the terminal ward and try to make yourself as comfortable as possible. No, I'm I'm a big one for rage, rage against the dying of the light. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I don't believe it's too late. I don't believe it's too late at all. And the internet has made it possible for it not to be too late and so people who come here expecting a too late message check out groom yourself masturbate play video games fucking die it's all over well they come to the wrong place this show would not exist if i believed that i if you would have asked me like maybe a few years ago like after I was like still reeling from the pain of the relationships, I think I would have a totally different answer. Like, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, but after listening to like your shows, I was like, wow, like there's it, it really like the self knowledge part was just powerful. I was like, wow. This, I, and I, now I, I really, I think I've done more critical thinking about everything, <laughs> any subject within the last year than I've probably ever done in my whole life and just reevaluating, like, why do I believe these things? Like, and like listening to my emotions and not just like, uh, 
just really powerful stuff, man. I'm really glad for that. And look, I mean, if, if this conversation or this show as a whole has helped open up your heart to love and hope and fatherhood and so on, fantastic. It really has. Fantastic. Uh, I, I, this is, you know, the, the, the death of the West is a self-fulfilling prophecy, but it's not a certainty as yet. Absolutely. You know, I mean, it's the old thing, like, oh, if we believe that there's there's no hope and no future and why have kids? And so, okay, then it's true, but it's only true because people believe it. I mean, the West survived the Black Death, right? The West survived um, the Crusades, which, contrary to a lot of popular opinion, was not exactly always initiated by Christians, to put it mildly as possible. The West survived the First World War, the Second World War, the Cold War. The West survived the predations of the aristocracy that lasted for over a thousand years. The West survived endless famines and plagues. And, uh, you know, the idea that we're going to be fucking killed by alimony. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> it's so ridiculous that I don't even know what to say. <laughs> That's why I just want to grab people and say, remember the size of your ancestors. Remember the place that you came from. Remember the grandeur of your culture. The idea that we're going to be undone by, you know, shitty little voters with shitty little agendas after what our culture has survived and flourished under is ridiculous. I just want people to remember how big and powerful they really are and how much a culture has surmounted to bring the extraordinary gifts of reason, philosophy, capitalism, modern medicine, science, the gifts that the West has bestowed upon the species will likely never be matched by any other culture again past, present, or future. And we did that. Yeah. We, we brought empiricism and rationality to the world through a state of fairly medieval superstition and the dominance of an ancient religious organization. And we brought the concept of limited government, constitutionally limited Republican government or a, a republic, for the first time in history, people say, ah, oh, Rome was a republic. Yes, with slaves. <laughs> so, and they say, ah, oh, well, America was a republic with slaves. It's like, yes, but not for long. Yeah, and if I, like, and when you were saying this just now, and you said, like, the West actually did something good for the world, I immediately thought of all the propaganda I've had my entire childhood and going through public schools of, like, oh, Saying anything good about Western culture is racist, and that you you should it's like, racist. Embrace yeah. but, 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 but basically saying that whites are all shitty somehow is not racist. Exactly, right? and like, that had... whites are all bad is not racist, and saying that whites have done some good stuff that is racist. But that's just, I mean, who can take any of that shit seriously? Absolutely, but you know, you, you tell that... me one other fucking culture <laughs> that has brought <laughs> as many. You know what I say? If you don't like <laughs> you don't like white culture, boycott. Boycott everything made by whites. Go on. I dare you. I dare you. Boycott everything made by white people. <laughs> I'd like to see what kind of life you're going to have. Probably won't be hearing a lot from you in the 21st century. Just boycott everything invented or made by white people. Make sure you boycott science and modern medicine and 
<laughs> political freedom and freedom of speech and freedom of religion and 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 right absolutely uh, and that, but the point i was uh the emotion that came up when you said that I, I was thinking if i just said that to like people they would they would all get uncomfortable said what though, like to me it's just it's an obvious fact like western culture you know we got the freedom of speech and all the things that we like we don't want to live in cultures where that doesn't exist, but we're not supposed to say that. Like, it, it, just the fact that even I've though I've really, um, you know, developed in the last few years, it, it's just uh, that emotion still comes up. It really shows just how deep down the propaganda has really got, gone far. No, it absolutely it has. It absolutely has. And there's this giant ridiculous shit test put on white culture by the world and and <laughs> you know we're just supposed to shit in our own nest and cower for having existed and i mean it's ridiculous oh yeah there was imperialism from whites it's like yeah welcome to the human fucking race imperialism from every every single culture every single culture was imperialistic hey did, was it was it fun in china being ruled by the japanese not really <laughs> how about uh, being in greece under the turks for 400 years not particularly Great. You know, how was it? What was it like being invaded by Muslims in the 17th century? Was that fun for a lot of people? It really, really wasn't. And this idea that, that we're just going to focus on white imperialism when whites were the first people to voluntarily relinquish an empire and uh, the fact that we're going to talk about white slavery when the whites were the ones who ended. You know, I don't say this because I'm white. I'm just looking at the facts, right? I mean, whites ended slavery. And there were no other cultures. I mean, slavery has been around as long as human beings have been around. And what was the culture that ended slavery? The white culture. <laughs> I mean, any thanks for that? I-, I give thanks that white culture ended slavery. I think it's wonderful. Maybe because I'm Irish and I could have been sold as a slave. <laughs> I don't know, right? Yeah. But uh, it's just, I don't know. I mean, it, it's, I don't know. I, I don't even know what to say. It's just, it's too ridiculous for words. Um. But uh, it's just it's the fashion, you know, these days. And uh, you yeah. know, we can we can believe it and cower and oh, you're so bad and all this is like oh, we can just say yeah, well, you know, show show me the better culture. Cultural show show, show me the better show me the culture that's provided more benefit to to the world. That that's I mean I'm I'm totally willing and and happy to hear it. You know, show me the empirical evidence of a culture that has brought more benefit to the world and whose products and ideas are more voluntarily in use throughout the entire human family. I'm really open and willing. You know, I, I'm, I'm trying to be an empiricist. If I've got some blind spot, if I'm <laughs> whatever, right? It, it's just the way that it is. And, and why it is, I don't know. But um, I'm, 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 happy to hear, I'm happy to hear the case. Uh, and it's, it's not like something I take pride in or anything like that. It's, I didn't do those things, but just looking at it objectively, um, you know, I'm <laughs> the Japanese will probably give us great sex robots, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, they, they, you know, I think that's objectively uh, the case. And uh, you know, the Harlem, Harlem Renaissance and black culture has given us some fantastic stuff, and and uh, 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 Asian culture has given us some fantastic stuff, and and white culture has given us some fantastic stuff. And, uh, yeah, anyone who says otherwise, I mean, I just, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, do you think, I just, there's, go ahead. 
Do you think there's like going to be like a more segmentation in society because of this? Like, uh, like you said, like the, the, the mice going in the corner, uh, like the MGTOWs. And then I guess people, uh, like, is it, is, is there going to be more extreme ends of, this, of the spectrum as like society goes forward in the sense that, uh, like one, one part will be moving towards peaceful parenting and then the other side is just going to be buckling down, going as hard in the other direction as possible. Or. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I will tell you that I want people to move more towards reason and thought and evidence and so on. That is, uh, you know, I, I can't say where do I think things will head because I'm one of the people who's trying to make it head in a particular direction. Like you're talking to the captain of a ship and saying, where do you think the ship's going to go? And it's like, see this wheel here where I turn it, right? That's uh, true. That's true. That's what I want. And uh, would you, if you, were, if there was anything you could say to the Japanese men, which are committing like cultural seppuku, like, like uh, I, I was, I lost for words when I when I saw this like Vice document, short documentary about like what's going on there, and I, because I already kind of see it here happening. Well, I would just say that, um, you know, this is to Japanese men and women, and just find your balls. <laughs> you know, I mean, find your balls. R- write your story in the page of humanity. Write your story in the page of humanity, or write your page in the story of humanity, probably is a better way of putting it. That it's not over, it's not done. And to flee into petty sense pleasures is to withdraw from the most essential combat in the story of the species, which is to promote virtue and fight vice. If you don't like your culture, don't run away. Fucking change it. If you don't like your social structure, don't retreat into the sewers of self-regard. Fucking change it. We are as grand as we allow ourselves to be. We are as deep and meaningful and powerful as we allow ourselves to be. Don't like something. Don't whine. Don't complain. Don't disappear up your own ass. Don't just sit there playing video games and masturbating and complaining. Get up and fucking change it. Get off your ass. Go start something. Go speak to people. Go do something. And remember the power and grandeur of human existence is not confined to storybooks and Marvel comic heroes and people who fell into vats of radioactive liquid. It is in your heart and it is in my heart. I am not that smart. I just screw my courage to the sticking place and speak the truth as I see it and try to be as accurate and as honest as possible. And that is available to everyone. That is available to everyone. And people write me all the time and say, oh, I wish I could learn to speak like you. I wish I could learn to communicate like you. And it's like, start practicing. Just do it. Set up your camera. Speak your mind. Have courage. Open your heart. Listen. Be passionate. 
care. We all care. We all care about what's right. We all care about what's good. Just, you have the most incredible megaphone the world has ever seen. You can reach the whole planet from your toilet. (laughs) You can. You can. You can hide under your bed, (laughs) record a show, and put it out for the whole world to hear. And there's no barrier, and there's virtually no cost involved. And at such a time, when we have the greatest trumpets of human connection and the greatest capacity to bring reason, truth, passion, evidence, and virtue to the world, what do people do? Look, I'm playing a video game and making a funny voice. Oh, look, I'm putting some weird colored shit on my eyes. Oh, look, my cat fell. Oh, look, someone fell over. This tininess of manifestation in the face of such unbelievable possibility and opportunity is one of the greatest tragedies of the modern world. It's like as our opportunities have grown, we have shrunk as a species. People in the past went over trench walls to a near certain death because they thought they were fighting the good fight for a king and country, for civilization. People trekked through trackless wastes with uh, predators and viruses and scant food and uncertain water. Half of Europe fled to the New World on creaky ships that sank regularly and took six weeks to take you across what a plane can fly over now in four and a half hours. And they came to a whole new country where they knew almost no one, had a couple of dollars in their pocket, and they built a whole world, a whole civilization, and created the greatest explosion of wealth and freedom that history has ever seen. And don't tell me that this is somehow reserved for the people you read about as chapter headings in history books. No, these are average people taking incredible risks, doing amazing things, stabbing out into a completely unknown world for the possibility of freedom and self-ownership, the amount of courage it took to uproot yourself from Bulgaria and Yugoslavia and Ukraine and Croatia and England, (laughs) all of these countries. go across the sea to a new world and carve a new world out of a wilderness where there were language barriers, cultural barriers, religious barriers. This is what the average person in the 18th and 19th and 17th century was willing to do. And what stops us now? Well, there are feminists. (laughs) And alimony. (laughs) It's alimony. Really? Really? Our ancestors walked through walls and we fall flat on our face and whine because there's a dust bunny. Really? Is this what we have reduced to? 
And if this is what we are reduced to, then maybe we should just become a shadow in the history books despised by all because we damn well let it happen. That was powerful. I, 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 I feel like, yeah, like, like a few years ago, like I would be totally buying into all those arguments against marriage and like even even those like arguments of like oh well there's too many people on the planet anyway and like that stuff like is like poison it's and i feel like it's poisoning the people who that w- would be best having kids no listen i i eat the, the overpopulation freaks go to the muslim countries you know go learn arabic go become an imam and go and preach overpopulation in the muslim countries <laughs> no seriously i mean they're the ones you should be talking to about overpopulation if that is your concern but they're not doing that are they no they're going after people who have actual concerns about um like people who think about getting into marriage and people who think about having kids like that's like their target and i was i've kind of bought into that and it's it's kind of like i think you said once that it's easier for a man to be alone like a, a young man it's easier for him to be alone than for a woman and I, I feel like i've been living that kind of life yeah look a young man is gathering resources whereas a woman is losing fertility yeah and i mean so much as i mean the distortion that has happened through social media and so on. It used to be a lot harder for a woman to get attention. Now she just, you know, posts a Photoshop picture on some site and, and, you know, she's (laughs) now got this drug of male attention and so on. Right. I mean, although I saw the study today that after the age of 22, (laughs) basically men run out of interest in women pretty quickly on the internet after they pass the age of 22, that women are looking for sort of same age partners, but men are always looking for women who are 22, at least until the men hit 40 or whatever. Maybe after that they stop uh, or at least maybe adjusted to 23. But uh, yeah, so it's harder for a young woman to be alone because, you know, her time is running out, whereas a man's resources are accumulating. So it's easier. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, that's, uh, this has been an amazing call and I've, just wanted to say to all the people out there uh, who haven't done it yet, uh, you're going to feel really good about it if you do. Because, and the reason I chose to start subscribing is that, you know, I would hear couples on your show that would talk about, you know, dedication to peaceful parenting and asking questions about how to resolve conflicts. And I'm just like, wow, like, you know, by keeping this show alive and growing it, like you're, you're tangibly actually, People are, are making decisions in their lives that, uh, you know, I was spanked as a kid and I, I don't want that to happen again. And like before your show, I, I was like, yeah, spanking, you know, if you don't spank kids, it's, that's what's problem. That's what the problem is in society is that we don't have enough spanking. And right, right, right. I was like pulled out of that matrix and like by donating to this show, you're pulling more people out of the matrix and, um, you're going to feel really good about it because, you know, tens of thousands of parents are going to stop hitting their kids and that's going to change the, the future. 
Yeah, I appreciate that. And I'm, I'm very sorry to hear about your experiences as a child, but, you know, congratulations on making that commitment. There's something else that I, I sort of just mentioned just as, as we end up here, which is, and I just, I speak to white people. You know, it's funny, you know, because if I was a black guy speaking to my black brothers and sisters, it'd be like, yeah, you know, <laughs> preach on, you know. <laughs> white guy talks to white people, it's like, whoa, that's bad. <laughs> anyway, it's, just, it's, it's natural. But, but, but the reason, and I'm actually, I just, no, forget it. I'm not going to talk to white people. Just talk to everyone. Listen, everyone, I want to let you in on a little secret. White people are really nice until they're not. Right? Like British people, really, really nice people. You know, very, very polite, very deferential, very, you know, they stammer, they stutter, they do all kind of Michael Crawford in his early days stuff and really, really nice people. You know, there's lots of um, Chamberlains, you know, the guy who tried to appease Hitler and, and so on and, and secure peace in, in, in his time, as he said. And lots of Chamberlains who try to compromise and, and do, you know, really nice things and, and so on. And and I, I think that that's kind of a weakness, uh, you know. Neither here nor there, but white people are really nice, and 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 then they're not, right? And so, like in England, they they will try to appease Hitler, and they'll try to keep peace, and and then they will fucking bomb Germany back to the Stone Age, right? So that's something I don't want that to happen, right? I don't want sort of that white backlashy stuff to happen, right? You know, I, white people stand up for themselves because when white people get cornered and they realize that they've really been taken advantage of and they've been shit on for a long period of time, well, they they go a little crazy. You know, like like America, you know, didn't really want to get into the Second World War, right? Right. I mean, they did the land lease and, you know, they wanted to help out the special relationship British. Like, they really didn't. And they... Sure as shit when thinking of getting into a war with Japan, right? I mean, no, there were blockades and all that kind of stuff, but they really weren't aiming at a big giant war with Japan, right? And then the Japanese are all like, we don't take prisoners, right? It's like, oh, is that how we're going to do it? Here's two fucking nuclear bombs, okay? That's white people. <laughs> no. I'm serious. Because no, white people are really, really nice until they're not. And then they're really, really not nice. Yeah, like, white people are like, <laughs> we'd really like to end slavery. We'd, we'd like to offer you some, some lovely things. Here's, here's a lovely gift basket if you'll help us end slavery. That'd be just lovely, you know. Perhaps we could give you a little rub down from my auntie. Uh, she's very good with her hands. We'd sure love to help you end slavery. We, we really got, which would be very nice if you would end slavery. Oh, you're not? Okay. We'll fucking sink your ships and feed you to the sharks. I mean, it's, it's like, <laughs> They go from like Hugh Grant to Joe Pesci in a blink. And that's, you know, that didn't get knocked out of the species or the race, you know, by two world wars. It's still there. And it's not, uh, it's not a particularly great thing. And so I hope that uh, white people will stop self-shaming or being shamed by others. You know, not. No need for any counter-aggression or anything like that, but I just think it's uh, 
I think it's important to wake up to <laughs> our strength before, you know, that ancient white murderous assholery starts pouring out of every pore. So Absolutely. I you don't want to bottle up that stuff and uh you don't want to be an appeaser. You want to you know, stand your ground and um, yeah, be be assertive, you know, because you know there's nothing, you know, you you push you push any people down long enough, right? Right. I mean, the idea that 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 white people are in charge is like, are you kidding me? I mean, the only people who are really in charge are the people you're not allowed to criticize. Who the hell has any trouble criticizing white people? It's like the most boring cliche around these days. Oh, white people are bad. White people are bad. Mm. White culture is bad. <laughs> right? Right. And what's ah, funny about crazy. that is uh I was originally really turned off by philosophy because I was had a really bad experience with it. So when you went like I took a philosophy course in um in college, which is the worst place uh, oh, I guess. Too. Yeah, and it was it was like more about like white guilt and white shaming, and it was like feminism, and I was just like, and they kind of mixed some stuff about Socrates and Plato and stuff in there, but all I, all that really stuck out was like, you know, how about multiculturalism? And I was like, I was like, so I had this really bad impression of what what philosophy was. And it really wasn't until your show that I was like, wow. So philosophy is actually uh, like almost like a science and math. It's like a concrete like way of determining, you know, morality and uh, truth from falsehood. And like, it's a really powerful tool. And it, it, this is really, really hidden from, from people. And oh, yeah, and absolutely. No, I, I remember to my first philosophy class in college, um, was like some 800-year-old guy droning on and on about Descartes' thought experiment about a demon being in charge right. of all your reality. And it's just like, oh, my God. Like, how ridiculously boring and inconsequential could you try and paint this discipline? But he wasn't in the market, right? He wasn't in the free market. Absolutely. In, in the free market, you, you actually have to offer something of tangible value to people. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah. Uh, so, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, it was exactly like that. It was just like epistemological, like all these concepts, but they didn't teach me how to think. Like they didn't teach me how to like come come to like a way of thinking. It was just it, it was boring, and I think it was almost like deliberately boring. To like, mm -hmm. I, no one in the class was like really interested in anything going on. It was, uh, but your show is like one of the most compelling things I. Hello? It's... Oh, okay. Sorry, it's you amazing. just left you for a second. <laughs> you were just in the middle of praising this show, and the internet cut out, bastard. Yeah, but sorry. Uh, I was saying, your, your show is like one of the most... It, no, it is the most compelling thing out there. Like, I've I, I've heard other podcasts and other radio shows, and, like, they're great and all, but, like, you can talk about any subject here. Like, you talk about subjects that, like, I kind of find myself reaching for the volume dial, like maybe I shouldn't keep play this that loudly. <laughs> and, and He's talking think, about white people again. Stop him. <laughs> yeah, but then I think, wow, like why do I think that? Oh, I have programming in me that right, you know, right, and 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 it's like 
It's like that Seinfeld episode, you know, for the older people. It's like, I, I, I don't think we're supposed to be talking about this. It's like, well, yeah. that's what philosophy should be talking about. Absolutely. Right. And, and that's what's so the beauty of it. And because it's donation supported, you don't have to care about any um, advertisers that, you know, would have a problem with whatever you say. And another thing that, if I can bring it up, um, that you changed my mind about was, uh, like, I would, uh, I always found, I never thought that I could have like intelligent discussions with women and that sounds really bad, but it's just cause I, I was thinking about it. I was like, okay, like my mom is pretty intelligent. She has like a PhD and, uh, <laughs> okay. yeah, pretty intelligent. Yeah. So she's fairly intelligent. And, uh, and so I thought like, wow, I, if I, if I did intelligent woman, she's going to uh, you know, like ruin my life and, divorce me and take out my house and everything and I, I just had that wait sorry is that is that what your mom did to your dad yeah and mm. he was an abusive person and so it's like there's fault on both sides but like then i because of the show i thought like wow the reason i'm not choosing women that i can have conversations with is because i'm unconsciously avoiding them not not because they don't exist but because I'm consciously avoiding them because I'm afraid of being taken advantage of. And then you point out that actually intelligent couples where people are intelligent are more likely to, uh, are less likely to divorce, have more likely to stay together, more likely to, you know, go to divorce, uh, like couples counseling and try to make it work. And like a lot of positive benefits to dating an intelligent person. And, and I realized that the problem uh, wasn't dating women. It was who it was that was dating all the wrong women for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, and you would be susceptible to a woman like your mother without self knowledge because that would be your template for femininity, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Right. No, and 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 without self knowledge, most knowledge is dangerous. Is that because? That knowledge will kind of fall into like an an equation that's already in your head. Well, that's partly it. And also partly very intelligent people who lack self-knowledge are experts at intellectualization. And intellectualization is a defense not only against your own emotional authenticity, but if you're a good enough communicator against the emotional authenticity of others as well. Right? So people who are not – people who are very intelligent but lack self-knowledge – they don't just harm their own emotional development and expression, but those of others as well. I mean, so so to give you an example, so I had a professor when I was in undergraduate. I did a full-year course, if I remember rightly, on uh, political philosophy. Uh, his, name, his name was Charles Taylor, and uh, not the... African dictator, I think his, his, Charles Taylor was a Canadian academic, couldn't tell you one goddamn thing I learned that whole year. Now, me, <laughs> pretty interested in political philosophy, I, I would say. <laughs> it's something I'm rapidly fascinated by, in fact. Took a full-year course with this guy, considered to be one of the great political scientists of uh, – political thinkers of you know the 20th. Couldn't tell you one thing I learned 
in that guy. I can I can remember other guys. Uh, there was a professor I had who did a fantastic Churchill impersonation. History professor, great, and actually a, a nice guy, a nice guy in many ways. But I couldn't I couldn't tell you much that I went to do. A teacher in Aristotle was great. It was a, it was a woman. She taught my class on on Aristotle. And I did extra papers. We'd sit in her office uh, chatting, and <laughs> she'd go through my extra papers, astonished that I was doing extra papers. But, you know, I really wanted to figure out this reasoning from first principle stuff, and Aristotle is a great place to start. And she just took on relativists like nobody's business. I mean, she was great. She, she's like <laughs> – uh, I mean, the guy was like, well, you know, you, 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 you might have a different moral opinion tomorrow. And she's saying, oh, so what you're saying is that under the same exact circumstances, the exact same person could have opposite moral opinions. So that just ranked relativism. It has no place in this class, right? Now, it wasn't a great argument, but nonetheless, she was a pushback against relativism. And I really uh, I liked her uh, as a teacher, not, not just because, you know, there was lots of things I disagreed with her about, but she was very um, – very sharp and uh, and so on. And, you know, one day maybe I'll go into more detail about the professors who I had and, and all that. But this, this Charles Murray thing, it's like, what are we talking about? Like, wh- wh- like what are we talking about? I, I, you know, I've been meaning to at some point, I would get around to this, going down to a, um, a philosophy class, you know, maybe in grad school. And, you know, just pinging people as they come out the door. Hey, you know, you're taking philosophy. Can I chat with you for a couple of minutes? Hey, can you tell me what is truth? <laughs> hey, can you tell me what is virtue? Hey, can you tell me what is good, what is evil? Do they exist? Uh, hey, hey, can you tell me if societies are, are better or worse and why? You know, I mean, <laughs> that's pretty basic, right? right? That should be stuff you learn the first day. <laughs> <laughs> or at least start studying the first day. And, um, you know, I, I can virtually guarantee you that, that all we'd get is a complete bunch of postmodern baffle gap that would make us feel tired and irritated. And more irritated if we pay taxes. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and so, they're, but they're very smart. Very smart. Very smart. I had... Um, uh, a friend, uh, a friend of me, I guess. Uh, he uh, he was uh, when I was in undergraduate at McGill, and he was taking philosophy. I love philosophy. I was taking some philosophy. I took more in in grad, but no, I took some in undergrad. Should be fair. And you know, he and I would get into these conversations, and I literally felt like I was going into like a crazy town house, like you know those. I don't know if you if you don't have kids, you or maybe you remember when you were a kid, right? You go into these fairs and they have these like funhouse mirrors and these yeah. back and forth sidewalks and you know these things that spin you around. Like going into this guy's language was like dropping LSD, blindfolding yourself, and just throwing yourself into a zero gravity, scary ass, distorted clown head fun maze. And uh, I just could never figure out what the hell we were talking about, which way it was up, and after a while. I would just get so annoyed at this baffle gap of postmodern stuff. I mean, I made a lot of fun of it in my novel, The God of Atheists, uh, but it was very serious fun. Uh, that stuff is is uh, you you create your own language to 
to break the utility of your discipline to the general public. And dear fucking God, if there's one discipline that should have its greatest appeal to the greatest number, it should be philosophy. It must be philosophy. That is the one discipline that should have the greatest appeal to the greatest number of people. I mean, I can't think of another one. Nutrition? Well, you know, just eat sensibly a variety of things. Don't overnote. You don't have to be an expert in nutrition, but I mean, we all have to make choices about good and evil. We all have to make choices about right and wrong. We all have to do what's right and avoid what is harmful to, to ourselves and others. And, and if there's one discipline that should be firmly rooted in the hearts and minds of the people, it must be philosophy, and in particular, moral philosophy. I mean, your your body can take a huge amount of punishment and still function, but not your brain. Your mind cannot. Uh, you know, people, you know, Keith Richards is still alive, exhibit A, right? <laughs> uh, but uh, the, the minds cannot take a lot of contrary mechanisms uh, and processes and survive and, and flourish in any way, shape or form. It's more like a, um, uh, you know, the, the, the development of the human mind is more like a, uh, a launch of an interplanetary spacecraft, you know, not a lot of margin for error, right? <laughs> you know, rubber duckies can be thrown around the room, but spaceships need precision. And the body uh, requires far less maintenance than the mind and far less concentrated improvement and uh, uh, the, the, the focusing on excellence than, than the mind does. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's what's always frustrated me is just that the one discipline that, that should be in the hands of the people in ways that they can understand, in ways that moves and motivates them, the one discipline that is the most important for humanity to succeed and to flourish, or at least not to die a fiery nuclear death of economic cold winter – is um is philosophy and in particular moral philosophy and of course that's been a big goal is to just try and get a principles enthusiasm meaning depth and power of philosophy into the hands of of people uh, you know it was given to me i think i've worked it uh, a few kinks out and just passing it along with as much enthusiasm and importance as as i can you know this is not a gig. This is not a, a game for me. This is uh, very serious stuff uh, around making the world a better place. And if I have to be a clown to get people to take philosophy seriously, I will do that with with happiness. Absolutely, and I think it's valid because it's also closer. It's more natural. Like like religion isn't very natural, whereas like empiricism and like right and wrong are things that like like if you take a take something from a kid he's gonna, he's gonna be like that was wrong like that's an unnatural like reaction and 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 what gives me hope is that like all the bad things going on in the world they take they, I, I don't know if I'm paraphrasing you right but you said once that like um Things like things that people do that are bad usually require a lot of propaganda, a lot of effort, like 15 years of school. Like you need uh, 
And so it's almost like those things aren't quite as sustainable. Like really yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, again, it's it's a great Tom Sowell quote where he says that these ideas are so ridiculous that it takes a highly educated person to believe them. Right, and like like religion, it requires that you force kids to learn it at early age before they're able to like really uh, rationally process uh, such subjects, and that kind of gives me hope that like you know all like statism and, and religion like they require a lot of time and effort where things like you, you like raising a, a child to uh you know right from wrong is like not as doesn't take quite as long it doesn't require like breaking their uh natural inclination to uh you know uh reason and rational uh, like like the, like the like the thing with you know presenting an uh, an knife like a a tablet inside of an empty box and telling them there's a tablet there but there's nothing in there and right. the kids will just <laughs> they like they have to be broken and and I think society is kind of breaking less now like religion's kind of fading uh, like people more people are questioning the state uh, people are questioning you know parenting like. There's this kind of eroding away slowly of all the effort that requires for that requires these barbaric old um, ways of thinking. No, and I, I agree, but that is a time of great danger, right? Because it creates a, a power vacuum, and the power vacuum is not essential to human nature. It's just essential to how we're raised, which is involves a lot of power. And so I I agree that um, a lot of the old paradigms are breaking away but the um that is a great danger that's why i you know i i put out like 250 or 300 shows a year and these are a lot of work and we got researchers and we got uh, i mean it's just a, a video people and i mean sound people I mean, it's 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 a lot but but by god i mean it's now or never as far as i'm concerned you know, this is this is the time when, to use a ridiculously hoary cliche, this is a time when all the planets have aligned for humanity to take a quantum leap forward. Um, you know, bad people are using the internet, right? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Know, I hear there are some bad people on the internet. Didn't – Mike, you, you, you gave me this. Didn't Joss Whedon just get just, – just boot himself off <coughs> Ran him Twitter? off Twitter. <laughs> How do you get the guy who created Buffy the Vampire Slayer off Twitter, Mike? Perhaps you can explain this to me. Because he's uh, apparently he's sexist in his portrayal of female characters in the new Avengers movie. The person behind <laughs> Buffy the Vampire Slayer, could there be a stronger female lead character than Buffy the Vampire Slayer, is apparently sexist towards female characters in his film. Isn't he also straight? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> He's a Can I do a, 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 a tiny Yeah, so there're bad 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 people out there, right? I mean, bad people out there on the internet and people are afraid of taking risks because, you know, Google is forever and so on, right? Google has become this collective borg brain that that nobody can escape and all. But um let me just take a slight tangent. No, no, no I won't. I'm going to take a slight tangent. I'll, I'll do that another show. But um, yeah, so I, I think it's it's kind of now or never, and so that's one of the reasons why I'm pushing so hard to um, to get as much philosophy out there as possible, 
you, you just you have to outrun the dark. You have to outrun the dark, and the dark has got some blurred legs, baby. Definitely. All right. So um, I know we covered a lot of ground, but was it uh, useful, helpful? Absolutely. And because uh, I mean, we started with sex robots, and then we got into um, how to save humanity. So I think that uh, uh, that was a good <laughs> covered all bases um, conversation. Fantastic. And Mike, did you want me to do the poem? I would love a dramatic reading of the poem, Steph. So by dramatic, you just mean screamed, right? Is that... <laughs> I trust your judgment. Oh, did you look up Charles Taylor? I did. I did. He's 83. Multiculturalism. 2010, Taylor said, Multiculturalism was a work in progress that faced challenges. <laughs> Identified tackling Islamophobia in, chal- in Canada as the next challenge. Yeah, you know, this overuse of phobia... Hmm. is really not a very philosophical approach, you know? I don't know. Just attacking the word phobia onto something. (laughs) Irrational fear of Islam. Well, I think that mostly it's Muslims who have an (laughs) irrational fear of (laughs) extremist uh, Islam, right? I mean, anyway, that's... uh... I wonder if Could the I... Christians that they take down by the river have an irrational fear of Islam. No, I'm sorry. Hey, um, could I coin a term for you guys? Mm-hmm. So much of my adult years, ever since high school, um, I live in California. Uh, so this is, uh, and I coined this term called comedy central liberal. And it's people who watch the Daily Show or Colbert or like, you know, all the other shows, spinoffs of that, like they watch it like religiously, man. Mm-hmm. Like, and it, it, because it makes you laugh, like they, they think, oh, it's just comedy, but it's like really forming their core beliefs. Oh yeah. No, it's, it's, it's programming and programming uh, in comedy is, is very powerful because your defenses are down and you automatically like people who make you laugh. So yeah. And I thought about trying to be as relentlessly unfunny as humanly possible. And I think succeed a fair amount. So go ahead. I I saw your presentation on art was incredibly powerful. uh, When you talked about how, like, like, like I noticed this with like the right is very obvious with their propaganda, like, like American sniper. Like, that's just so obvious, you know, right wing, let's go fight Iraq. Whereas leftist propaganda is really artistic. People don't even call it propaganda. Like, they they wouldn't even, like, they're so propaganda, they can't even recognize it. And right. Right. for them, it's just, it, it's no more propaganda than I consider physics propaganda, right? It's just the way the right. world is, right? Like, they say, like, oh, capitalism is evil and just... That they're these comedy central liberals, and but Viacom is a giant conglomerate corporation that you know owns <laughs> owns Comedy Central, and like they, they they have like huge studios of people writing this stuff, like to appeal to people's like um, what's it called, like um, liberal bigotry. <laughs> I was going to say confirmation bias, but no, yeah, like, yeah. Same thing. <laughs> it, it's like super reinforcing. It's like an echo chamber. And, and if I asked them, like, have you ever heard of any alternative arguments to, you know, like, you can't have 
capital true free market capitalism without like uh the currency being free like that's the basis of capitalism and they just they 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 become like a sheep not like a deer in the headlines like they they really haven't been exposed and it's 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 kind of frightening to me like and then when the daily show guy said he was going to retire soon or something like i saw this like endless feeds on facebook of people like this is the greatest you know thinker of our time and <laughs> i'm like wow it's it's so unfortunate and so yeah i just wanted to give you that term because it's it's like so dominant for like the t- people in their 20s oh yeah no it is it is uh you know john stewart is like the the cool guy uh, and the funny guy and John Stewart uh, does not express any intellectual doubt. None. I've never seen him. I mean, he's admitted that he's wrong a couple of times if he got some facts wrong and so on, right? But I have never heard him express any appreciation for opposing arguments. And I've never heard him or seen him express any intellectual doubt. And that is the mark of a propagandist. And that is the mark of somebody who hopes that his certainty is going to drag you along like you're a unconscious water skier behind a fast boat uh and that is that is just terrible i mean it's terrible terrible stuff uh, right like I, i've never heard him say well you know th- there's a really good argument here like i've talked about this there's really good arguments against evolution and i've gone through some of them right yeah um and i've just you know an appreciation for the equality of the arguments on the other side uh, people who don't have that um you know, I talked about the benefits of religion in a pretty emotional show recently, which, you know, I hadn't done before. And constantly talking about um, – I've talked a lot about my, uh, you know, support of the war in Iraq when it first came out. I've done entire shows reading out corrections to criticisms of things that I've done, invite people on to debate and and uh, and so on. And I just um, – he just, he just – he's so absolutely certain that – his way is the moral way and his way is the right way. Yeah. And um that that to me is uh is just terrible. And and he's selling he's just selling confirmation bias. And that's really uh really terrible. Like he'll come on and rake Jim Kramer over the coals, but not not the head of uh, the Federal Reserve, right? Absolutely. And he you just you know for a fact that he's just never read and studied anybody outside his particular um, political milieu. I agree, and and I think that's why he's able to speak with such conviction. Because you know, if you if you there's sort of that thing like if you believe it, then you can really portray that it's true to you. You know. Right, right. And uh, all right. So uh, before I get in, sucked into the giant hole of John Stewart's exit, um, okay. <laughs> we're going to finish with a little Dylan Thomas. Now, Dylan Thomas was um, obviously a famous poet from last century. He was born uh, at the beginning of the First World War in 1914. He died in 1953. And uh, it, most people know the word Dylan because of Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. And as Bob Dylan said, I've done a lot more for Dylan Thomas than he ever did for me. <laughs> so I just want to mention that. Um, so this is a, a, a famous poem. You, you may have heard of it. You may not have. Um, and it's a famous poem about, I don't know if this was his father who was dying, but um, it is, I think, 
appropriate to the twilight of the culture that we wish to bring a new sun to. And it's it's called Do Not Go Gentle into That Good Night. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Though wise men at their end know dark is right, because their words had forked no lightning, they do not go gentle into that good night. Good men the last wave by, crying how bright their frail deeds might have danced in a green bay, rage, rage against the dying of the light. Wild men who caught and sang the sun in flight and learn too late they grieved it on its way, do not go gentle into that good night. Grave men near death who see with blinding sight Blind eyes could blaze like meteors and be gay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And you, my father, there on the sad height, curse, bless me now with your fierce tears, I pray. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. That's really deep. It's a, it's a really good poem. And, and like all poems addressed to a deathbed, it's really addressed to people who aren't dying yet. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, all the elegies are there for those still living, right? So, thanks for a great call. Thanks for a great show, everyone. Freedomainradio.com slash donate to help out this show, to help us grow this is the most important work, I think, being done in the world today, the work of philosophy. I think we have a good handle on how to get it out to people. We can't do it without your help and support at freedomainradio.com slash donate. Have a great week, everyone. We will talk to you Saturday night.